Sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time Welcome to the Quarter to Three movie podcast for Dunkirk. My name is Tom Chick. I am here with Christian Murkowski from Alaska. I'd like to be known as the mole, but just for this week. <laughs> with, with a tagline for Dunkirk, maybe two, could be three. Sometimes we even get four of these things. Kelly Wand. It's like the opening of Wonder Woman, but with men. What the heck happens at the opening of Wonder Woman? Wait, what? Germans oh, show up on a beach. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah, but no, shut the fuck up, Kelly. Yeah, Kelly, <laughs> did you see? Did you accidentally see the wrong movie? Because I don't recall Germans showing up in Dunkirk. Yeah. They're surrounding That's... you, though, Kelly. It would have been funny if the Wonder Women were attacking in Dunkirk. <laughs> it would have been so funny if the, if the Germans had dropped flyers on their little island. Ha ha! All right, Harry Turtle Dove, give us another uh, tagline. That was the flyer, by the way, Tom. I mean, Dingus. Oh, and that wasn't the catchphrase. It's this. Finally, a Hollywood World War II movie about the Allies' problems. I don't understand that one. Maybe it's easy to hear the opposite. They're all about that. All right, keep going. Keep going. It's like Argo, but with boats. Mm, okay, so far that's my favorite. Are there more? No. <laughs> well, in that case, Dingus, don't spoil Dunkirk, because some of the listeners might not know what happened in World War II. So yeah. tell us a little bit about what this movie is without spoilers. All right. This week we saw Dunkirk, a 2017 international co-production action yeah. drama war history movie about a week, <gasps> a day, and an hour at, off, and over the beach. It was written and directed by Christopher Nolan. Uh-huh. It stars Fion Whitehead, Damien Bernard, Enyurin Barnard, uh, Barry Keoghan, Mark Rylance, and Tom Hardy, <sighs> which many of our listeners did not recognize. I don't understand that. I mean, right off the bat. I, I, I know. As soon as I, I was like, oh, my God, yes. You know what it is? Um, it's from it's for, from weeks of us studying the difference between Logan Marshall Green and Tom Hardy. We all are, oh. have our radar finely attuned, the three of us on this podcast, in a way that people who haven't seen many Logan Marshall Green movies might not have their radar finely attuned. We had we had some great we have some great listener emails about this movie this week, but I was really surprised to read how a couple of them didn't recognize him. Because it's not like people aren't used to seeing Tom Hardy play roles with a mask on his face, right? I know. Right. The guy's butter. It should have been the same mask. As which, which one? Fury Road. I mean, uh, Locke. Okay. I mean, uh, Bane. Which? There you go. <laughs> Forgot about Dunk- that. Dunkirk. There's a lot of, uh, in Bronson. He's got a lot of makeup on. I don't know about masks, uh, but makeup's yeah, kind of a mask. Point. I don't need my mouth to be visible. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that should have been I don't know, I don't know quite was... what to do with that right now. <laughs> uh, I mean I mean your mouth. Okay, Dunkirk is rated PG thirteen. Oh. For what the fuck. For what the fuck? <laughs> no, the podcast no. is not. Alright, Dunkirk is rated PG thirteen for intense war experience. Mm. <laughs> Uh, intense war experience. Tell your thirteen-year-old and some language. 
Uh, Kelly Wan, you obviously you seem to take issue with that. Would you have given it a different rating? I found it very intense. Uh, there is one woman in one shot wearing petticoats going, Hello, dearie! <laughs> and that implies I, prostitution. That makes it sound like something in a like Jack the Ripper movie, right? I still came twice during the season. <laughs> oh my gosh! All oh, right, Jesus. sorry I asked. Really? Uh, Dunkirk is at 93 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's at 94 on Metacritic. Uh, the kind of idiots who got who get pulled by cinema score, they gave it what they give all the movies they go to. It got its A minus. Uh, it opened at number one with 50 million, which is quite the achievement considering nobody is in this. And actually, I'm sort of ribbing Kelly Wan. Nobody knows what happened at Dunkirk. This is an English thing. What does America care? Yet they still turned out to see uh, this movie that America's not even in. I mean, we weren't even there. What, what do we care? But still- Maybe that's why they saw it. They're like, oh, I don't know. It's a World War II movie about something I don't know happened. Yeah, people love uh, basically being taught stuff when they go to movies. That's why they go to movies. Yeah, people love learning about history in movies, Kelly Wan, which is why I would like you – to give me a synopsis of Dunkirk. Uh, I really hate this one. I mean, you're welcome. What would you call it, Tom? <laughs> I would call it European History 101. <laughs> I, I hope it's called the Duncoxus. Duncoxus! Some words are all character with a mole, subjective screen time, one week. Some British guys silently loot a French magazine store and don't light their cigarettes since it's a war movie for kids and Tom. (laughs) (laughs) A bunch of pamphlets land on them from a passing plane with swastikas on the wings. One guy grabs one and looks at it. On it's a picture of him reading the pamphlet with an unlit cigarette in his mouth while tanks, ships, and planes shoot at him on all sides. Under it are the words, ha ha, you're surrounded, love the Germans. The same German audience from Wonder Woman sitting around me cheers and claps excitedly. (laughs) Wow. A girl at a dirndl stands up and goes, finally something for us. I look over at Dingus sitting beside me and go, who's your favorite, Heidi? He stands up, pumps his fist, and goes, twice! Oh, God. Really? It's topical. I almost cut the Dirndl joke, and then I went, oh, wait, I need it for that. So I put it back in. Would have been weird without the Dirndl line. Uh, back in the movie, another British guy looks at his friend and goes, Haw haw, you're reading pamphlets. The first guy's all, Who said anything about reading? He unzips and squats. A third one's all, Hey, Clive, I sure hope we're in a Gary Marshall movie called Dunk. Oh! <laughs> get shot. <laughs> Instead of taking cover or shooting back, they all run away and get shot in the back, except for the shit guy who scrambles over a wooden fence. The Germans troll him and the fence while he spends 10 minutes trying to understand how his gun works. He shoots the fence once to try and scare it off, but it shoots back, so he ditches his gun and runs away. Fence one. And zero. Finally, he finds a beach with thousands of British troops in formation staring at him, turns around and lowers his pants again to finally take his shit. And to mourn his dead friends. I look over at the Greatest Generation veteran in the wheelchair beside me and go... 
There was this show called Lost that was also about people with accents trying to get off an island. Except in that, the guy trying to take a shit all the time was that Persian Caligula from 300. The popcorn machine in the lobby pops. The veteran jolts and screams at me. Some German planes bomb the beach, but the Brits trick the bombs by lying down in the sand. And in some cases, getting blown up. <laughs> Ken Brannig wears a captain's hat, stands on a pier, makes his I'm directing Thor face. <laughs> <laughs> I still got it. More superhero jokes. And goes, blast it. I guess to liberate France, we should have brought more men. To celebrate bowel and troop movements, the shit kid, who might be this Harry Styles guy, a female later asked me how he was in this, makes a new friend, then finds a stretcher with a tired extra in it, and uses it as a prop to cut the line and run through a bunch of people towards an overcrowded ship that's leaving. At one point, he and his friend have to carry it over a fragile wooden plank, so that someone forgot to finish building the bridge. <laughs> or is that Nolan's mistake? I didn't understand that at all. It's right in the shot. After he does it, all the watching soldiers who didn't help him cheer the plank. <laughs> they should have had a bunch of civilians come in and like do the planks. They get the stretcher guy on the ship, but get carded for misunderstanding what poop decks are used for and kicked off and hide out in here while more German planes show up and bomb some water. Meanwhile, the guy from Bridge of Spies whose catchphrase whenever other characters asked him to emote more was, would it help? Switches sides, <laughs> moves the... <laughs> That's an easy Oscar. Uh, moves to England and gets a boat and a blonde kid and some goofy kid named Craig to help him steal half a pile of life jackets from the dock while some sinister boat police in black check everybody's ships for dope. <laughs> It's different from us. That's what I learned in this movie. Historical. <laughs> I assume it's not like that now. They're probably wearing blue. He tricks the cops by sailing off while they stare nonplussed from the dock. Sayonara, Serpico. Some words are all boat subplot one day, except for the train scene later. They put put out to sea till they find a dead orca with uh, Cillian Murphy on it. <laughs> they let him on board off of the orca where he sits huddled near the flagpole. The goofy kid offers Cillian Murphy a tin cup with Coster's golf ball in it. Cillian bats away. It's a bridge of spies, the blonde kid's all. Sheesh, what's his deal? That's not how you play golf. Rylance is all. He's shell-shocked from transcendence. The blonde kid sneaks up on Cillian and goes, That was some orca! Cillian's all, It was a U-boat. The blonde kid loses interest and wanders off to stare at Craig. Meanwhile, Tom Hardy leaves acting, buys a fighter plane, flies around over the ocean with two buddies and other planes, and shoots at German ones. He misses a lot. <laughs> Maybe it's because that thing on his face can't see around it. It's in his belly. I mean, finally he's all... Okay, I'm pretty sure they're gone. Bap, bap, bap. A German fighter shoots sparks at Hardy's cockpit, then flies overhead, giggling. Suddenly, he notices his gas gauge is not empty. Into his nitrous oxide mask, he's all, Uh, Hardy to Gary, 
Was I supposed to put a hard yeah, and everybody else is. You're the fuel guy. What are you saying? Uh, uh, nothing. Uh, probably engage. Uh, he looks over at the fuel pouring out of his punctured fuel tank. Goes. Also, me fuel tank might be full. <laughs> Um, Gary DeHardy, you were also supposed to make sure the plastic cockpit top from the plane detaches easily and doesn't get jammed. You did that at least, didn't you? Hardy drowns out this guy's voice by shooting a bunch of holes in the wing of the plane in front of him. I got him! I got him! Jerry down! That's me, you idiot! <laughs> Some words are all Tom Hardy airplane scenes. One second. Meanwhile, the shit kid, I think, is Styles and his buddy eventually get onto a ship with a giant cafeteria in its cargo hold, where a chubby nurse with red cross tattoos on her shoulders serving slabs of jelly with a little bread on them a bunch of extras. <laughs> Styles is all, yeah, I'm all freight with boats today. I think I'll hang out on deck till we reach the channel. The other kid says something of British I couldn't understand. The one I think's Larry Styles goes outside and watches as a shark comes through the water towards his boat. <laughs> so many hazards in the sea he yells something in british the shark hits the boat and makes it poseidon adventure everybody period drowns wait that up after everybody in the cafeteria drowns barry styles decides to turn the crank that opens the door that was locked for some reason so they all come out and drown again as the boat sinks he grabs a piece of jetsam while his buddy grabs a box of cg Although I'm rooting for it to happen, the guy in the stretcher doesn't float into view. They float around till they get on another boat that also sinks. I look over at the British soldier with mutton chops firing mortars beside me and go, that kid's born Jonah, huh? In the row ahead of me, Jonah Hill turns and scowls. Back on boat of spies, Zillion's all. <laughs> hey, wait a second. You guys are going the wrong way. Look, this may have been my first day in the army, but I've already paid my dues in this war. You know how long I was sitting out there? Turn this thing around. <laughs> That's his British accent. <laughs> I'll, no, I mean, yeah, I'll uh, map a course. <laughs> this is me. Can't miss it. It's the uh, only cabin with a lock on the door. Let's play cover from your paranoia. He winks at the blonde kid and draws a finger across his throat. All right. He goes down to the blonde kid, locks him in. From inside the broom closet, Zillion's all. Hey, uh, do you guys have any non-cucumber body wash aboard? Hello? <laughs> he tries to open the door after a few minutes of jiggling it and saying hello some more times. He realizes <laughs> it's locked. The door doesn't look very solid. Solid? <laughs> Zillion. The door doesn't look very solid, but Zillion still panics. <laughs> that sentence was hard for me to say. Up on deck, the blonde kid nudges Ryland, smirks, and goes, Hey, I locked fuckstick up in the mates. What is it you said? Let's see him break cups now. Rylance rolls his eyes and goes, Sean, let him out. He's had enough prank played on him already today. But... Reluctantly, the blonde kid lets Cillian out. Spins all, I thought Map of course meant something different. He attacks Rylance and tries to punch him on the ear. The goofy kid's all, Cillian's right, Dad. We need to turn this boat back. He struggles with both of them and himself. Zillion's all, get out of here before you hurt yourself. And he shoves Craig down the stairs. The blonde kid's all, Craig, you okay? Uh, does blindness count? 
Cillian loses interest in this fight, goes to sit on the decks more. Ryland sighs and keeps driving. What a Tuesday. Suddenly, Tom Hardy's blonde friend's plane gets shot down and lands in the water near him. The blonde friend smiles proudly at his landing prowess, unstraps his seatbelt, tries to open his cockpit. It's stuck. He's all, damn it, Hardy! He takes out his gun and starts banging at the lid with his pistol. He's all, Gary to Hardy, at least tell me you still have your cyanide capsule in case you get captured. They can torture you for intel on every ship in the fleet. Through the intercom, here's a bunch of machine gun fire. Then Hardy going, Hardy to Gary, I did it. Jerry aircraft carrier sunk. Ryland's all, that's my boat, you idiot. <laughs> his boat pulls up to the sinking plane. The blonde kid starts bashing its cockpit with a harpoon, finally smashing it to bits. The pilot's all, Good work. You quick thinking. Just saved my life, son. The blonde kid's all, uh, hey, dad, there's a pilot here. From his accent, I think he's German. He tries to stab Gary with the harpoon, but Gary just grabs it to lift himself out of the sinking plane and starts thanking him again. Blonde kid sighs. Ugh. It's terrible. Meanwhile, on the beach, as a German airplane buzzes, all the Brit soldiers dive to their stomachs in the sand. A clump of them explodes, screaming. The German plot, German pilot flying past. German pilot flying past is all. I didn't bomb you yet. From his strategy bridge, Brannock looks through the binoculars and goes, "Damn, this infernal darkness is of ill repute." His admiral friends all. You're looking at those through the wrong end. Also, take the lens caps off and open your eyes. Brannock does all this. Damn! The beach is crawling with jerrys. Shell it immediately. Yeah, it's all. Sir, those are our guys. Damn the pregnants. <laughs> Why can't the pardon my friends? Bloody Navy, bring us transports and just get us out of here. The Admiral's all. They said they want to save them for the next Nolan movie about evacuation. Braddock's all. Damn this genre. Meanwhile, Styles makes some friends on a beached boat and hides outside it with them. As some French prankster kids giggle and shoot holes in the hull near their heads, one of the soldiers scowls at Styles and goes, I say one of these two assholes is a spy. They haven't said anything intelligible yet. Styles is all, Look, I may be AWOL, but I don't hang out with spies. Raoul? <laughs> I give up. <laughs> There's one and I guess I'm going. Raul, tell this idiot how French you are. The friend inexplicably clams up till the bullies start shoving him head first up through the hatchway. Then he's all, uh, <clears throat> Pringle, uh, I'm uh, French. Uh, yeah, uh, I like the crepes, uh, kissing with tongue, jewels and gym. Uh, I like the threesome with Lerfman Bloil, but uh, more cigarettes. Uh, Molto bene, grazie. Uh, yeah, yeah, French. <laughs> the bully's all, all right, he can stay. One guy's all, hey, look, Ty came in. We're drifting out to sea in a random direction. They all start cheering. Then water starts pouring through all the bullet holes in the hull. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, Rylance's boat shows up, and they all climb aboard. The blonde kid's all, Dad, look, we're suddenly surrounded by hundreds of other fishing boats from England. In this shot, where were they all this time? Wouldn't we have seen them? Rylance is all, would it help? Blunt is all, 
guys with oil on their faces, like in that Henry Cavill movie Immortals that we saw, climb aboard his boat. <laughs> what the hell's going on? I just came down here to duck trip for my vacation. Who are you people? Off my boat. Hooligans? <laughs> Cillians all. Hey, that goofy kid doing okay? I can't have hurt him too bad. I couldn't even kick down that closet door. The blonde kid's all. Oh, he's fine. Never felt better. He's not blind or dead at all. Cillians <laughs> all. Good, thanks. Maybe I'll go down there later. Have a steering contest with shit uh-huh. all kids, except on my end. <laughs> Dingus chokes. It's not how you're supposed to. It was the incorrect noise to make. Back on. <laughs> While the extras cheer, Tom Hardy strafes them a few times, runs out of gas, then lands his plane and accidentally sets it on fire. He gets. <laughs> <laughs> He gets out, beating at the flames on his crotch. Then goes, now to make me way back to that beach and evade these idiot Nazi patrols. Some off-screen Nazis grab him from behind while he's talking. Take him somewhere irrelevant. I look down at my notes for the opposite so far. Boats Styles gets on, keeps sinking. Styles comes home and gets on a train. A stalker knocks on the window of the train and makes it takes Takes it reluctantly. The blonde kid goes to the newspaper office to give them some fake news. On the train, Stiles picks up the newspaper and stares at the front page. The headlines all, Retirees who own their own boat save our army. All old people who have their own planes, please report to Churchill's lawn for help with the blitz today. I like that one. Under this is a picture of Rylance's kid falling down the stairs, along with a much smaller headline that says, Goofy Kid Gets Head Injury, Declared Hero of Dunkirk Instead of Brannock. <laughs> Please don't let Murphy's character see this picture. I stopped. <laughs> it would have been dumb if you'd read the paper, huh? Well, that cut the blog. Because it's the same kid. Blonde kid lied to everyone. As Styles starts to read all this aloud, cuts away to a top spinning. He leans over to me and goes, Axis, get it. Some words tell me the <laughs> Some words tell me the names of all the extras in the crowd shots who caught colds and wished Nolan had used CG. The end. <laughs> all right. Uh, Kelly, normally you would go first because it is my th- Oh no, Stingus is three by three today i'll be introducing next week's but take a break that obviously took a lot out of you uh here's here's an old man giving you a couple of beers drink them dingus Uh, you go first uh you let slip before we recorded that you were excited for this podcast which i don't think you would be if you didn't like this movie which i suspected might have been the case you you suspected I didn't like the movie? Possibly, yeah, because I, I am our, our resident uh, interstellar apologist, and I remember one of the things you didn't like about Interstellar uh, was something that Nolan does here, and I wondered if that would I, – I just didn't – you know what? I can't figure you out anymore because you didn't like that Spider-Man movie, so I, I feel like I don't know you anymore. Uh, who yeah. does not like that Spider-Man movie? So, I mean, I uh, – yeah, this is critically acclaimed, but I can – I have some issues with it, but – I'll go after you, Dingus. So you go first, and I did think, yeah, maybe Dingus won't like this. 
you you're changing the rules just so I have to go first because you're curious. All right, fine. Well, Kelly, you know, Kelly right. can go first. You know what, you guys, I can go, I can go first. You guys uh, wrestle it out. Have an arm wrestling match. My under would be the movie uh, Braveheart. Um, what? I, well, I'm a big sucker for Braveheart. You I, are? I, yeah, I, I, really I like, like it too. A lot. What? Oh, it's Wait great. a minute. Fucking hammer. I'm sitting here with two people who don't think Braveheart is dumb. Yeah, Braveheart's I don't awesome. think Braveheart is Super dumb. Violent. It's great. There's yeah. some great. It's an R-rated uh, war movie with uh, fucking Scotsmen and fucking hammers. It's great. It's you know totally the people who his... like people who like Braveheart are the same kind of people who like Gladiator. I love Gladiator. Oh my god. Oh jeez. <laughs> R-rated period pieces are exciting to me. All right. <laughs> I really like Braveheart a lot, but um, but not as much as this. Go ahead. Here's here's the thing. Um, the thing I I really like the music for Braveheart, but I like it separated from the movie, and I like the music for Dunkirk quite a bit, but I would like it to be separated from the movie. Uh, there's a number of times during this movie that I think separates it from. Uh, uh, I, I really really like Dunkirk a lot. I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's a really, really good movie. But it, it misses out on greatness because of how the music is used and overused Ooh, in okay. certain places. Um, that drives me uh, crazy. And I think, and I watched Interstellar again this week. Uh, I think Interstellar actually does this a little bit better. Whoa, uh, you hear that, Kelly Wand? Uh, uh, I, I still don't care for Interstellar. No, you but love I think it. That, I think that... Um, Nolan understands better how to utilize or use <laughs> music uh, in Interstellar a little bit better than he does here. It's a little overwhelming. I, I, I love the score, but again, like I like the score for Braveheart, I kind of like it separated from the movie a little bit because it gets a little bit overwrought. So your and, over then is Interstellar. No, no. My over is the movie 71. <laughs> Um, which I really quite like oh, a that's lot. A good one. That's a good and, one. And I like the, this uh, extraction kind of theme that goes on in 71 and how uh, 71 understands how to focus on one, uh, one guy's story and is really careful with, uh, with its music and whatnot. But it's, it's pretty close because I don't mind the way um, it's not that I don't mind. I love the way Dunkirk separates its its uh, its timelines. It plays with time, and it also doesn't focus on one particular person and separates those things. I I really really like this movie quite a bit. I don't think it achieves greatness, um, but I think it gets pretty close. Uh, the seventy one guy, his name is Jan Demange. Uh, I think I don't know if this is actually official. But it was in the trades that he's up for doing the next James Bond. Oh, right. Yeah. Is another guy, another guy we might lose then. Wait, no, come on. What about like Sam Mendes with Skyfall? All right, well, fair enough. But we've had a number of uh, really decent directors that suddenly get given a big thing and then they crap out, you know. I think, yeah, yeah okay. But I do if think, he made it, well. If he made a James Bond movie that's like 71, like a period piece – James Bond or something. That would be cool, but it is still Daniel Craig, so I think it'll be modern. Oh, Young yeah. Demange, though, has been around for a while. He did a series for uh, for 
it's probably BBC Four or something like way back when called Dead Set, uh, a zombie movie basically. Mm, yeah, so Jan Dumont, he knows how to do his action and stuff. I don't think we're necessarily going to lose him to James Bond. I think he could. I could see him doing some cool stuff with it. But okay, good, good. So I, I, yeah, because okay. I said that because I, I think that's a that's not a cause to worry about losing him. I think that's a cause to be excited about a James Bond movie, which I haven't been since I saw the last one. So all right, I'm, good. I'm, glad, I'm glad that you, I'm, I'm glad you put it that way, Tom, because uh, there there have been a number of uh, of uh, small directors that get uh, delivered something big and then they just uh, trip over themselves. Did you recognize the kid in Dunkirk from '71? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, me yeah. too. He's I got, love a, that guy's guy. got a, Yeah, I do too. And he's got a great face. Um, yeah. And by the way, he's not Mr. Dawson's son, Kelly. <laughs> not related, Kelly. <laughs> would it help? He's, he's just a friend. <laughs> yeah, it would. Uh-oh. So, Dingus, do you know Tom Hardy's wingman's name? If it's not, it's Gary, right? Kelly had it right, didn't he? Yeah. I, I don't know, actually, now. Gary! In that case, we're going with Gary. Gary. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, do you want to go next or do you want me to? Uh, yeah, you go ahead. My I really part. liked it. I liked it a lot. Oh, my gosh, I so liked it. And so my overs and unders are war movies. And what I liked about Dunkirk is it's a different way to do a war movie. Because when I heard that Christopher Nolan was doing a movie about Dunkirk, I – said, okay, it's just going to be guys sitting around waiting on a boat. How do you, why would you make a movie about Dunkirk? It's also very specific to the, the British experience. It's part of their own kind of mythology about World War II. It's a weird story. It would have been very different if we had lost World War II, but because Britain uh, they persevered, they went through a lot, and they ended up prevailing. Dunkirk was kind of the for, for the British, this was the first inkling. It kind of presaged what they were going to go through. So for Britain, this is kind of a, a, a momentous thing. For us Americans, we don't care. Dunkirk is just guys waiting to get on a boat and leave uh, so that they can get around to doing other stuff several years from now, later. And so it, it didn't – Nolan doing a Dunkirk movie just made no sense to me. And I, I was like, Years. okay, whatever. Uh, but – what what I love about this is he took his different approach. He did his time dilation thing, which I thought you, you guys were kind of dismissive about that in Interstellar. And I know, and I don't think this is wrong. I know Dingus felt that it was derivative from what he did with Inception, and that's that's not necessarily incorrect. So Dingus, I thought the the time dilation thing here might have bothered you because I loved it. Uh, I loved how I couldn't care less if this was about Dunkirk. By the way, the fact that it was about, the fact that it was about Dunkirk has nothing to do with my feeling about this. It's a war movie, and it could have been Dunkirk. It could have been the Battle of the Bulge. It could have been the Eastern Front. It could have been Vietnam, whatever he wanted to do. The fact that he created this story about the different scales of war and how they interact, uh, I really thought it was an, an intricately plotted, narratively fascinating way to present war and to say something about war. Uh, so my over and under are also war movies that I love that take a different approach to it. And I I think I like this just because it is so cinematically compelling and competent. Yeah. I mean, if you, even if you don't like a Nolan movie, I need to go back and see Inception, by the way. Even if you don't like a Nolan movie, the guy knows what he's doing, and he's, he's incredibly competent. He's, a, he's an incredible filmmaker. So my over is – my under, I mean, I like this a little bit better than that, is another incredible filmmaker. But I'm not sure that his filmmaking – well, it's, it's Thin Red Line, and Terrence Malick's Thin Red Line mm-hmm. I love, and it's a different way to look at war. It, it's poetic. It's languid. It's, it's very indulgent, uh, but it's a fascinating way to consider warfare and what That's the men, a really good choice. That's a really good choice. 
and it and, and that's you know that was my favorite movie of that year and I, I i adore that movie and it does have its successes excesses and i can see people seeing it and thinking this is kind of sappy uh but I also like, too, the way that Thin Red Line – well, we'll get to the – the way Thin Red Line plays with its cast, and it doesn't focus on any one person. I love that Dunkirk did that. However, my over is another war movie that is, of course, about war, but it takes a very different, very personal, very humanistic approach, and it almost feels like a parable. It's got a dreamlike quality to it, and it's Keith Gordon's movie A Midnight Clear. Uh, with uh. Ethan Hawke and Sinise and Peter Berg, and uh, I'm sure I'm leaving some uh, some of the oh Frank Whaley. Uh, so I love a Midnight Clear. I, I like it as uh, a, a kind of a parable about men in war, uh, mm. and I love this kind of almost mystical realism quality that it takes as they're trying to work their way back across to the, to the front. Uh, so uh, Dunkirk would fit right in between those two as far as movies that I love about war. Kelly Wand, it is your turn. What's something that's better than Dunkirk? Something not quite as good as Dunkirk. Um, I did movies about evacuations. Um, (laughs) So my over was uh, Apollo 13. Wait, that's not the spider one, right? That's Apollo 18. 18. Wait, 18. Apollo 18 is the one with the spiders. So Apollo 13, where are they evacuating from? Apollo 18 is the documentary where we found out that moon rocks are, are space spiders. Right. Is that the one you mean? Yeah. I guess they're not really evacuating, Dingus. I guess well, they, that's true. I mean, they, they have to get out for the moon because there's space spiders there. They, they, they have can't. to evacuate the ship they're on. Wait, you they actually to... meant Apollo 18? No, I meant 13. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not that dumb. All right, 18's your over. <laughs> yeah, Apollo 18's my over for Dunkirk. And I think that was Kelly Wan when, when the year Apollo 18 came out. It was Kelly Wan's third favorite movie of the year, I believe. That's right. Yeah, his year. first was Spider Man, the amazing one. <laughs> All right, yeah. so Apollo, a Ron Howard movie you like better than this? Nice work, Kelly Wan. I thought but Apollo 18 was a sequel to Creed. <laughs> okay, what? Oh, good. From the director Whoa. of the upcoming Han Solo standalone movie. Oh yeah. Well, wait, they got fired. I thought. No, no, that was Chris Lord and Phil Miller. Uh, the 22 Jump Street guys got fired, and Ron Howard took over. He's doing... Uh, yeah, uh, right, yeah. Isn't that where we are, or have I missed a development? He's our Han Solo. No, no, you... Non-arrested development. Um, wait, what's my thing? So you're over, over is Armageddon. Right, and so <laughs> my under movies about evacuations is Kramer versus Kramer. No, it's uh, <laughs> wow. Deepwater Horizon... Because uh, I like Dunkirk. Here's the thing, Dunkirk. Uh, I think I liked the concept of the movie more than I liked the movie. Maybe I was a little disappointed just because uh-huh. I was expecting it to be a little more opening saving Private Ryan-y. Yep. And so, uh, but it's it was not about. about it, it's not about right. the horrors of war. That's not what this right, is. Right, right. Yeah. So no, I don't yeah. know if it would have mattered. But uh, I really loved. Um, the Tom Hardy storyline and the Rylance storyline, but I didn't like the mole as much. I felt those characters, they seemed to show the least valor. Like, they were the least interesting to me. They were the hardest for me to tell apart. Maybe this, the flaws with me at the movie. I couldn't understand anything they were saying. It seemed like they were just like, I don't know. They weren't doing anything brave like the other two. Like, Tom Hardy and the Mark Rylance stories, they, those guys make really interesting choices. And... um. They both sort of think, subvert. Do you think not being able to tell them apart is on purpose? 
Mm, I didn't think of that. I mean, because I was having trouble even understanding the dialogue. Um, and there's not much dialogue, but it was the accents were too much. I don't know. Like maybe it was stupid. Because my mom made this complaint when she saw it, and then I kind of laughed at her. And then when I saw it, wait, yeah, I didn't understand what they said either. But there's not much dialogue in, it, and I liked that. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, Dingus, what are you, you are you suggesting that? Because uh, because these are these are unknowns. A lot of well, not unknown. I didn't know most of these actors. I, I have no right. idea who the guy on the poster is, by the way. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen that guy before. Uh, I, I, yeah, so these guys looked alike to me, and I didn't recognize him. I don't know who Harry Styles is. I wouldn't know him yeah, from Adam. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think you're onto something, though, Dingus. So you, you think that was intentional? I definitely do. I really do. Uh, I think that I think that that's a, a really key part of the whole, uh, especially the mole sequence or, or the the mole part of the the calendar of this movie or the time dilation of this movie. I think it's really important that. Um, we might latch on to this one guy who's carrying the stretcher with this other guy, uh, but not being able to tell him apart necessarily from other guys when they get dunked into the water and then get covered in oil or whatever, I, I think is important. I think that's an important part of getting of getting it's because it, this isn't just a retreat. It it's not just an evacuation. It's a it's a reconfiguration of troops. We're trying to get troops back <laughs> for a specific purpose. And all of these are parts in this huge war machine. And um, that might be a cynical way to put it, but I, I don't mean it cynically. And I don't mean it in a pejorative way that I think each part serves its purpose, but that a lot of them look the same is okay. And I think that, I mean, Christopher Nolan could have cast any of these people. I'm really surprised he cast Tom Hardy, and I love that he did because I think Tom Hardy is amazing. And, and that sequence of the movie is my favorite thing. And this is this movie has probably my favorite aerial combat of any movie I have ever seen. Yeah, I think you're right. But um, but I think that that mole stuff. I think yeah, I think that these long lines of guys. I think there's a reason for that. One of my issues with Thin Red Line is it's just studded with celebrities, and I find it distracting right. watching that. And I love seeing a movie where I don't know who the actors are. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, yeah, and and they definitely, I mean, kid, the, the you know, the, the kinds of kids who signed up, who enlisted, yet yeah, they they did look alike. They were alike. They were the same age. They were British kids. Uh, you know, you, you put them in the same uniforms. Uh, yeah, so that's that's part of what happens in war is you're absorbed into this army, this corporate body of warriors that has to work together uh and this idea too I, I, the movie resists that thing where everybody at some point tells you who he is and mm-hmm. you find out you know what he's going to do yeah. after the war there's nothing like that here the only thing that approaches that and and that's that's a huge temptation is let's humanize these characters mm-hmm. let's give you some detail to latch on to let's at least tell you their names i don't even think anybody ever says a name in this uh right. one, one of the things that i where where that does change is when Mark Rylance's character reveals that his son was an RAF pilot. Uh, but mm-hmm. that, that's and, – and I think that's significant. That's a re- – that's – that explains – you know, that, that's a connection with the kind of stakes that the British had for the war, how close it was to them, something right. too that a lot of Americans don't really understand about war because we tend to have oceans between us and whatever war is going right. on. We don't think and of not it a little 30, Yeah, we don't right. have a little 30 – 
mile stretch of, of water that you can basically throw a rock across and there's war right there. Um, they're the Navy Empire too. So they're like they've they're an island and they've they came to power because of their navy and so to be like stuck on it, like like to be outmaneuvered on the water is probably weird for them. They also talk about it in terms of home. I mean, just because you can see home doesn't mean we can get to it. Right. What is that? That is home. I mean, that that essence of home, I think, is is a key difference in the way that Britain and England. I don't know which word to use because I'm an idiot. Um, What's the difference? It's, uh, I, I don't know. Britain uh, is the whole island. England is the part of the island right. that is not Scotland. Okay. So the way they talk about home and the and deal with that war in the way we dealt with that war and deal with home. We didn't worry about home other than Hawaii, but a lot of Americans don't think of Hawaii as home. Uh, so we, again, we could sort of like put that at arm's length. I mean, there's a different way they were looking at that as home. Uh, so this, this idea that all of these guys are members of a family <laughs> and they kind of all look the same, I think makes sense. You know what other movie is about home, Dingus? A little movie called Interstellar. Hmm. Oh, Jesus Christ. Who directed that? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, I have a question for you guys, and it kind of pertains to what I was just talking about. Okay, I I agree completely with you. I really liked the omission of information. I think it makes the movie much more more powerful, and I definitely think it's a key part of how how, what makes it work. my only – but at the same time, like, like vying against that is I was a little unclear on why they were there, like why – how they got sure. stranded sure. there. And and are they abandoning France? Are they leaving the French to, to twist in the wind, like yep. in the concept of the story? Is, are the – like why is the Navy not helping so, them out? Like, right. That's – That's another thing, Kelly Wan, that I think the movie wasn't that concerned about and why I say the fact that it's about Dunkirk is almost arbitrary. Uh, But but what happened is – so the – Before before you do this, Tom, let me just really quickly interrupt, and then we'll get right back to what you're saying. Um, Arthur Gilman Jelly says – kind of leads into what you're about to say, I think, and – He's one of our listeners, and he says that this movie reminded me of college courses. It, it expects you it, it expects you to come with all your reading done, fully prepared to engage. <laughs> yeah, I love how isolated. <laughs> he, he says, I love how isolated this movie was and how it spends almost no time on exposition or backstory and just yeah. dives right into the events with which it is concerned. It's a short so, movie, too. Like right. you, know, you would think Super, a Christopher yeah. Nolan war movie would be two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. This, is not, this is like a ninety-minute movie. No. Uh, so, so go ahead, go go right with your what you're going. Well, I, I was going to basically give you that. Like, I don't think Nolan cares if you know. Like, Arthur is basically saying that you should know this stuff going in, but I kind of think you don't need to. That little title screen is just basically laying out the stakes. What's happened is the, mm-hmm. the Brits they're have stuck. to leave. Yeah, they're stuck, and it doesn't really get into the the strategic level. And there's a lot more going on too, because the Brits were the British were really caught flat-footed. Uh, so. They'd been working with Hitler and saying, hey, maybe can we have peace? Maybe can we not have peace? Like all that was going on. And then finally Hitler uh, invaded Poland, and so the UK and France are like, okay, that's it. We're going to war. And then there was still talk, and there was this period that was called the Sitzkrieg kind of because it wasn't a blitzkrieg. People just sat there and glowered at each other, and nobody attacked (laughs) anyone until finally the Germans just – 
just roared that came roaring out of the gates they did an in run through the low countries you know france had this whole defensive thing set up uh and the germans just walked around the side of it they were like okay you you have fun with your wall we're just going to come around this side and go to the other end and they just basically rolled through france and nobody was prepared for that and the british expeditionary forces that was their army that they'd sent over as a, as a show of solidarity of course those guys just got driven back by a blitzkrieg. They hadn't faced. Why didn't they get killed? Why didn't they, they did? A lot of them did. There were there were they casualties are. and there was fighting and and one of the things that uh, I th- I don't I his pamphlets. Uh, well, well, there there you know the I I they actually don't do that. Yeah. Well, that that was a, a, a to demoralize. The, sure. Of course. So you could just shell the fuck out of them. Like they'd be wasted. Well, no, that was the thing. Okay, so. Uh, it, it really was a matter, and I think Kenneth Branagh says something about this, of <laughs> Germany thinking we don't, you know, we beat them. We don't need to chase them. We don't need push. to. All right. Yeah. We're, so we're going to save the fuel because, of course, Hitler knew that that the real problem was going to be Russia, uh, and right. that's what he then spent the next several years doing is trying to deal with this behemoth on his eastern front. Uh, because he sort of thought, okay, well, there I've run them off. I'm going to use my air force. You know, the 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 Battle of Britain, where Hitler just bombarded day in and day out the UK, okay. you know, London with air power, mm-hmm. he thought that would be fine. And there were there were plans, Operation Sea Lion, that maybe he was thinking about invading the UK, but he kind of felt like he didn't need to. You know, they would uh, come back. Uh, he's so, dumb. <laughs> so, no, no. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. If he if he said if he kept Russia at bay just a little longer. He would have totally taken. Well, yeah, so you don't fight a war on two fronts, and that's that's something that yeah. That, no, he you never bothered. get involved that's in a land war in Asia. I don't know. No one's ever had these thoughts before. But but, but for the UK, <laughs> Kelly Wand, this this is kind of like the I think the way and not quite the way the U.S. thinks of Alamo, the Alamo, right. uh, and that it, it was our valley. Happy ending. Uh, right, right, exactly. Except the happy ending, uh, and yeah. and it, it really was a matter of. Uh, you, you know that that's part of British mythology. Not to say it's not true, but it's part of what I imagine every Brit child learns in school: is that yeah, we got our asses handed to us in Dunkirk, and we thought they were all going to be pinned on the beach and encircled and taken prisoner and wiped out. But British fishermen, the civilians, through, the civilians rescued them, and Churchill brought the people together, and in the end, we prevailed. Uh, so it's it's very significant for for them. But I, again, I don't think the movie was that concerned about it. Uh, like that's a good selling point, I suspect, mm. for for British audiences. But I don't think there was anything here that was necessarily about the idea of get, getting beaten and rescuing uh, victory, not even victory from the jaws of defeat, but basically rescuing non-defeat from the jaws of defeat. Right. Uh, like I said, this could have been about any battle. Uh, it could have been any war at any time, because I think what Christopher Nolan was doing was just weaving together these different scales. To show you the scope of the war yeah. together, and Dingus, you mentioned too about like this is the war machine. This kind of was a failure of the war machine because yeah. the British Navy couldn't because they this they, they couldn't get there. Uh, right. they, they they didn't have the the air power. They didn't have the cover for their navy. Uh, they they couldn't get up there close enough uh, to to get the men off of the beach. Um, well, the suggestion that they're saying when they're on the mole is that they've chosen not to. Right, that they're, the saving, they're saving their air power. Their air power. It's not that they they can't get there. It's that they're saving it. They're holding it back for. Well, right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right, and, and that's that's, that's a strategic right. decision, of course. And it was, right. uh, I believe, the right, right decision. You don't, yeah. Um, but we still have to get all of these little pieces 
back. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's one of the things that I took away from this movie is is that is that there's this this wonderful juxtaposition for me of the soldiers feeling shame as they're on the trains, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And and what is actually going on is they're just being repositioned. It's not you have nothing to be ashamed about. And and them sort of learning that is is sort of this little uh, this little cog that I kind of liked in the movie. Well, what what that made me think of was uh, like when he, of course, they they've retreated, they've failed, they did not right. hold France, they had to right. leave a, a bunch of the French army behind. Uh, they they did have they took a lot of casualties, a lot of them got killed falling back to Dunkirk and even around Dunkirk, of course. Uh, so they failed and they come back. And it's kind of, I guess, in a way, that's the larger scale of how this looks to the UK. And they then discover that that the people at home are proud of them, uh, yeah. And and that it, it it does become it's kind of a metaphor for the wars. Yeah, we failed, but eventually we can take pride in how we we sucked it up and we dealt with defeat, uh, like how we mm. how we subsume defeat, kind of. And it made huh. me think very wistfully of what soldiers coming back from Vietnam had to deal with in the U.S. Because that was a very similar situation, is we failed and we left. You know, Our Dunkirk was, uh, was Saigon. We, we pulled out of Saigon, and there's the famous shot of the helicopter with not enough people. They can't bring enough people off of the embassy. Uh, you know, that was what Dunkirk could have been for the U.K., but they, they pulled a victory out of it. Uh, and yeah, so I loved how touching that moment was when the guy opens a newspaper and realizes, oh, you know, they're not ashamed of us. Uh, right, right. Yeah, wait, that's right, because he even says something about – one of the old men says something like, good job, you've done great. And the guy says, we didn't do anything. We just, we just survived. Uh, and the fact that right. that was an accomplishment. Um, right. All right, I do have one – I want to bring out one of my issues with this movie. It did not look like there were 400,000 people on that beach, and I don't think I ever saw more than six boats in one shot, except for one of the big overhead shots. This movie felt almost like TV movie level at certain points in terms of the scale that it was showing me. What so you is wanted up something with that? more like 300. I wanted 800 boats and, and you know 400,000 soldiers on a beach. I didn't get that. Why not? That didn't bother you guys? Not enough soldiers? Well, they say the number, like 400,000. And that, that you, there, oh, there's, yeah. there's never a shot of a beach that has more than, I would say, tops. I don't know, maybe what, they had 500 extras? Well, there's that shot of Tom Hardy flying over the beach, and he flies over a bunch of guys. Right, but right. Also, uh, apparently the French are furious at this movie because they feel they're not in it, and and there were a bunch of French guys on the beach, and they feel they like not only were there not enough troops, but not enough French. Well, Kenneth Branagh is staying behind to make their movie. That's what he right. did. <laughs> I'll stay behind for the French, so he can make their movie. So <laughs> relax. Uh, you know, I actually didn't. Four hundred thousand. Oddly enough, oddly enough, that did not bother me. Um, uh, I just, I really like. It was a like, screen full of guys, so I go, all right, it's mini. Well, I, I kind of like the way there were the delineated lines, and they're like, and I forget what the guy said. Like where we're, uh, he he like bumps the guy to the next line. No, we're, you know, artillery or whatever. Yeah, we're grenadiers. Yeah. Go over there, uh, and I like that you see these thick lines of guys that 
remind me of you know the ants that attack our kitchen all the time um like leaning down uh, leading down to the beach and i didn't mind I, I would i would rather have seen that than have seen just this mass of humanity standing on the beach well, well, because be, i like the be, idea of it visually and to be fair that that's what it was i mean that the what's impressive about those photographs from dunkirk is that it did look like that the british oh. weren't weren't like in disarray they were lined up hmm. stoically waiting for boats to pick them up and it did look like that there were there were lines on the beach there was organization it it wasn't a route uh, you know, the, there was still some some integrity to the to the units oh. there. Uh, so visually, yeah, but it's it's the scale. Uh, so, and to just answer myself, I actually don't mind that. I was tricking you guys. Okay, right. because you fooled us. You fooled us. <laughs> did fool you, and you fell for it. You should feel ashamed. You failed. You've been <laughs> defeated by me. We did sound dumb. Like what? Four hundred thousand? Well, here's yeah, the thing. It's, it's it's clearly uh, Nolan not wanting to use CG. And right. I, I applaud that 110%. Uh, one of the things I love about Interstellar are those great shots that look like Apollo missions where he's not doing fancy CG of a spaceship flying around. There's some really cool model stuff. But, but Nolan has a specific way he wants things to look. And that's one of the things I like about the air combat in this as well is he took a cue from the way he was shooting the spaceships in Interstellar. Uh, so he, he's, he doesn't want CG, and I, I, I love that about him. Now, the shots of Tom Hardy flying over the beach, there were a couple of overhead shots of, of a bunch of ships those were cg and that's fine but the stuff that he shot on the ground and he also really shot in dunkirk like i don't think that needed to happen any beach right. could have worked uh so i love that he wanted to honor the historicity of it i love that he's reluctant to use cg and the way i think of it is uh it's not a simulation of dunkirk trying to recreate it uh in in every facet of authenticity it's a presentation you know, this is what it might have mm -hmm. felt like. This is roughly what it looked like. This is what the affected people, how they might have behaved. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, we're going to do a big Cecil B. DeMille production. It was, even though it, it, it didn't have that big, huge, crazy scale that Dunkirk really had with 800 boats on the water. It was just, you know, here's, here's the general idea that I'm presenting. Uh, mm. So I was okay with that because it meant we didn't get a bunch of crappy CG. Now, there was a right. bunch of CG, but there was never... You know, he never did this big crazy shot like you would want to do in a war movie like this. Like where in World War Z. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. There was nothing like that. And the same your eye knows. Yeah, yeah, I think. Well, well, you know, it. There, there are different CD ways. Cloud? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he could have done it. He just didn't want to do it. Like you think yeah, of yeah. you think of Fury Road. Fury Road is chock full of CG, but it's used discreetly at very specific moments to do very specific things. It's not a crutch. Uh, but, but for crowd shots, there's nothing in unless there's unless it's those guys in Fury Road that are trying to get the water. Like is or that, but that looked like a real crowd to me. So maybe I'm dumb. Well, no, no. If you look at the, like the CG in Fury Road, is is a lot of like coloring things. It's a lot of the explosions, debris. It's just basically turning things up to eleven rather than substituting for things. You know, Frank Miller also very particular about shooting with practical cars, but he uses CG to enhance these little practical effects that he's using, to the, these practical vehicles that he's using. And so I think it's the same with Nolan's. He really wanted those beach shots. He really wanted men out there, so he got a lot of extras, and he couldn't get, of course. 
you know, 400 was been, been, would have been more like 300,000, but he couldn't get 300,000 extras out there. He couldn't get 800 boats. He got a real French destroyer, which they towed, which was awesome. You know, they got a real boat yeah. like that. Uh, Did he use real, real fighter planes? No, those were models. I mean, actually, I think uh, there might have been, but but uh, he did. Uh, th- there were like kind of smaller scale remote control airplanes were used, uh, but physical, actual airplanes for some of those aerial shots. Um and there are, of course. Oh, I right love that. I love that Tom thinks Frank Miller directed uh, Fury George Road. Miller. Sorry, wrong Miller. Oh, <laughs> George Miller, who also I wrote those, wrote those Dark Knight and Sin City comic books when yeah, he was doing the Max movie. Yeah. <laughs> we have a we have a listener who I think is writing in for the first time named Brad Norrish. Um, uh-huh. and he says something along the lines of what we were what we were just talking about. But for context, he says. He should begin by saying that he grew up in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of his grandfathers served in the infantry, and he may have been in the evacuation of Dunkirk. Um, but he says uh, he'll start with he like what he likes. Generally, the cinematography seemed very good. The overhead Dunkirk shots, which I think we were just talking about, and the air-to-air combat were particularly lush and immersive. The Stuka, di- Stuka dive bomber attacks were appropriately terrifying. The scenes on the beach and the mole communicated both the claustrophobia of the waiting men, and I love I love how Bruce puts this, um, the claustrophobia of the waiting men and the unyielding vastness of the sea. Uh, so I hadn't read that until you were just talking, Tom, about how you don't mind the way that that is filmed. And I really liked it. You, you see that orderliness against the vastness of the sea instead of a huge crowd against the sea. And I think that that's a really important distinction, uh, especially in the overhead shots. And that claustrophobia that he met, who, what was that person's name, Dingus? His name is Bruce Norrish. Yeah, the, cl- the claustrophobia that he mentions is really important, too, because the men lined up on the mole. I would rather have that one practical shot than a CG shot of a beach full of 300,000 people. Like just that yeah. with the human bodies and the way that they would fall uh, down as the, as the stukas were coming by. I just love the visual of that and the, the, the tight-packed just how they're crammed together on that mole. The that ship. Terrifying. Dude. The ship, exactly. I, I never want to go in the water, by the way. I never want to get on a boat. I don't want to ever fly over the ocean. Like, the, the drowning stuff in this was just, just terrifying. Yeah. The worst way to go. The worst. And it didn't even, when he says, when uh, when when Mark Ryland says about Killian Murphy, he doesn't want to go below decks, you know, let him be. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like that whole when, when that was said, and we then I get it, <laughs> and then when we then go back in time to when the guys are getting on the boat and getting under going under the deck, and Killian Murphy was on that boat. Like I don't know, he's right. even in. So and it was when, it was U boat too that took him out. So right, it was a torpedo just like them. Yep, it's underwater. Yeah, and when when they when they get in the. So, yeah, by the time they get in there, they've established that, yeah, it's terrifying for these guys. At some point, they're going to be terrified about getting under in the deck in the hull of a ship. Uh, so, that, yeah, when you see them getting crammed in there. And the only woman in the movie gets drowned, too, because she's there under. Were, Kelly Wan, there were two. There was one woman at the pier, at least, who said, who waved and said, hey, welcome home, sweetie, or something like Hello, that. Hello, governor. Right. There you go. <laughs> I did love the moment when they were in the water and trying to get on the on the uh, boat, and uh, on the rowboat or whatever that little skull, whatever you call that little boat was, and they're like, you're just gonna have to wait. You guys have, um, you guys have uh, 
what are they called? Jeez, I can't remember the name. The thing that you wear when you go into the water when life you're on vest. a boat. Life vests. You, you guys have life vests. You uh, can wait. And then when they turn the boat around, somebody tosses it on the line so they can get towed in. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's just a lovely little moment where yeah. soldiers are looking out for each other in little ways. Um, it's, there are just so many nice little touches like that that I really like about this movie. And then how did you feel, though, about uh, the moments of, of cowardice and selfishness? Uh, like, uh, like, are you talking about Killian Murphy's character? Killian Murphy's character, the guys who uh, grab up a body just so they can get to the front of the line, right. uh, the guys who are holed up in that that Dutch boat, that fishing boat, uh, mm. just want to throw the the French guy out to the Germans. Uh, right. It's not all just plucky British courage. Right. That's why the Russians are. And they're, I guess the Russians and the French don't like the movie. The Russian state celebrates cowardice, even though they had a non-aggression. <laughs> <laughs> I had not heard that. Wow. And the French are like, too British. There's no Frenchman in the beach. <laughs> so it's like, ironically, Dunkirk is is breaking apart the alliance. <laughs> well, specifically but, uh, about that that boat where the tide's coming in, you know, it, uh, you know, it's a good thing that I'm Navy and your Army or whatever it is. Whatever that line. I think yeah, uh, it's good that you're Army and I'm Navy. Uh, this is a line that uh, Markinson liked. But uh, specifically to that, our listener Chris Markinson says he didn't like the boat. I mean, he really loved this movie. I, I should say that first of all. But he didn't like the boat that the Company of Soldiers and the French and English guy get into. He, he thought it took energy out of the movie. Yeah. Uh, you mean Markinson. the guys waiting for the tide to come in, that bit? Yeah. Yeah, that right. whole waiting for the tide to come it in. Felt, felt, uh, I thought it was three hours. Cool. No, it's six hours, that whole thing. Yeah. Well, that, that like, by the way, that's the origin like, story, though, for the guys that get on the, the boat that gets torpedoed. Like, it's right. showing where they've come right. from, and it's just one right. more thing that they have to go through. Right. And when you realize, oh, wait a minute, they're getting on. Like, when all these bits get to start coming together, and you realize, oh, my God, these guys have been stuck there for so long, and they just can't catch a break. Uh, yeah, but – that, that's the one scene where I went mm, – because it's like throughout the movie, there were a lot of surprises. Like I was really surprised when the blonde kid tells Killian Murphy, like, yeah, he's the kid's fine. Right, right. And like Rylance's decisions are interesting and Tom Hardy's decisions. But in the scene where they're in the boat and they're like, this guy's not talking at all. He's a spy. Like that felt like it was from a normal war movie. Like this is what every <laughs> other war movie has. It's like the guy doesn't talk. Let's throw him out. You, know, you say that, Kelly Wand, but then how did you feel about really the fact that, that this, this French soldier – took the the uniform off of a dead british soldier and got in line like how did did you hate that guy did you mind that like did you what would like i, I kind of think it's interesting to put that situation in the movie and ask ask the viewer how do you feel about this here's these characters who are against him here's someone standing up for him you know there, i don't um, think the movie judges the guy it just shows no, us this is something that I, happened and I get it. It's like what you're saying. It's like these are the cowards. This is the coward story. Of I don't. They I don't kind agree of with that. <laughs> yeah, you don't. I mean, they cut the line. What about all those other guys? It seems like it's not a British thing to do. Like, I think, uh, I think it's them. completely understandable. I mean, this is going back to Tom's stories are different. Tom's question like, about cowardice, but I, I think it's about survival. And and there's there's a great line in the movie that survival isn't fair. I mean, that's it's. You're just going to – different different humans will try to survive in different ways. Um, and uh, and Mark Rylance's character, Mr. Dawson, has this unbelievable compassion for uh, Killian Murphy's character. And he says he's shell-shocked. He's not who he was. He may never be that person again. 
he may never be the person he was again. Because what his his son or George, I forget who says, is he a coward? And Mark Rylance is just not going to talk about it in exactly. those terms. Yeah. It, those terms don't apply. This is war. Survival isn't fair. He's shell-shocked. He may never be the person he was before again. So I don't see it in so terms of So I love the Rylance character, but there's no Rylance character unless you count Branagh for that, for the other thread, for the mole. Like well, no, I'm the mole thing is what Tom was talking about, uh, of them scooping up that guy on the stretcher and using him to cut the line. Right. And yeah, I know. Kick, kicked off the ship, and then the French dude goes, this is how I escape things. I'm going to go under the pier, and then we're going to figure out ways to get out of here because I always have to figure out a way out. Uh, he's just trying to survive. I don't. I don't. I don't know where what you're driving at, Tom, by asking that question. But I don't see it as cowardice in that in that way because I kind of lean toward what Mr. Dawson or Mike Rylance's character is talking about. Uh, I'm getting at exactly what what you've pointed out. Like that, it's it's subjective. Like you can watch that. The movie isn't passing judgment on them. It's presenting right. it, and you watch it. And I I would call it cowardice. Dingus calls it survival. Uh, the movie isn't judging that for us. You know, we get to decide that on our own. But it's not it's not whitewashing what happened. With yeah, aren't the Brits heroic and plucky? And they just mm. stood in line and they like it. It's 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 very human. About this is this is what happened. There was cowardice. There were heroic things. In the yeah. end, it worked out. But I watched right. those guys picking up the body, and I'm like, "No, you jerks! There are other people in line in front of you. Right. You know, you're cowards. Yeah, you don't do that. If you steal the uniform from a dead British soldier and leave your your unit, I mean, actually, maybe that other guy's the rest of his comrades were dead or whatever. You're a coward. Uh, you know, you're deserting the French army. You're a coward. Now, I'm not. When I say that, I'm not even necessarily passing judgment there because I sure would be a terrible soldier. Yeah, I do uh, too. But I'm I'm comfortable. <laughs> well, yeah. But I'm cast against what the guys in the airplanes are doing, you know. Right, and Rylance. And I'm comfortable using the word cowardice or survival. But uh, yeah, I, you're right. I, I'm. I love that the movie put that out there. Um, yeah, and yeah, boy, those guys in the airplane. I, I will say the RAF was. Uh, they looked awfully awesome. I mean, those guys were right. super heroic. Yeah, that was. Man, pretty- I- and we've never seen that before, like with this level of authenticity. Yeah. Or I haven't. Oh, I mean, man, I cannot wait there to movies see this I haven't movie seen? again in a movie theater just for those airplane sequences. I don't know that I can think of another airplane sequence. Fascinated. Oh, or, it's it's just oh, it's just beautiful. That whole thing where he's he's marking <laughs> because of the fuel gauge. He's marking things <laughs> on the. Uh, oh my god how does that feel i kind of felt like i did know how it felt oh i did too i i his prowess or his characters thinking about it i get so excited about this movie because of that part of it i am unbelievably excited about this movie because of the aerial combat and the aerial stuff that goes on and i wish you know one of the things i wish about this movie and this is what kind of keeps it from being great and but still very very good is that when his engine cuts off, I wish the music had cut off. Yeah, uh, and that's that's something that Interstellar does right. When they get out into space, he understands that he needs to cut off the music. Oh, I, I love he had yeah. done that. Oh, I was no, I was so I I, there, I was just so I loved that the music was so omnipresent and so uh, over overbearing. Uh, uh, 
It was so overbearingly Zimmer, and I was okay with like that. that. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. Oh I loved God. it just because yeah. it it was so textured. I mean, yeah, I love just the, the the tension it adds, the drive that it adds. I, mean, I think it would have been more immersive with that. It, well, okay, maybe, but it's part of Nolan's cinematic language. It's how he tells yeah. stories. Uh, and in space, there's – I mean there there were – he was – it's like what Kubrick did in 2001. That that was kind of unprecedented is to not have ships going pew, yeah. pew. Like that was kind of <laughs> cool, and Nolan obviously wanted to acknowledge that kind of realism and present space that way. But you know, if he's going to tell a story just this, this rich and textured and this, this paste like this, yeah, let Zimmer go crazy. Uh, I was totally okay with that. I understand, yeah, it was there a lot. Maybe there could have been more quiet moments. But I think it's also part of what happens when you get a 90-minute movie. Like, hmm. it's, it's, it's just it's, – it, it wants to move quickly. It's, it's like a horse that doesn't want to slow down. Uh, yeah, well put. That's, so, yeah, that's a different point, though. I mean – Well, I think the music is part of that. I, mean, I think the music is part of that. It's, it's a really quick 90-minute movie. Uh, and the fact that there aren't slow, quiet – silent moments without music to just kind of admire something uh i think it's part of why it works because it is these these three timelines stitched together uh you know it's got to make an hour and a week correspond with each other and it does that in only 90 minutes and it doesn't want to just stop and slow down and breathe uh but when i think of the best scenes of the movie it's they're the music-free ones like where i was uh, there were any i don't think there were any scenes without music either there were no there, scenes without music. <laughs> I, I really okay. wanted less. I really wanted less music in the torpedo sequence. No, yeah, torpedo needs musical accompaniment. No, what? it's not. And I wanted no I music when right. when his engine cuts out. I mean, I love that yeah. moment so pure much. Silence, pure silence. Like here's a couple of issues I have. There, there are a couple of really dumb things in this movie. So, am I correct in that Tom Hardy's airplane has run out of gasoline? Yeah. And he still shoots down a Stuka? I think you can do that. It's not like Fury where the tank's not even moving, and you're like, dude, you just push fire artillery out of you're done. What do you, you wouldn't all die out of a tank that can't move. But like the plane, you can – I mean he still has lift, Tom. You know this. No, he doesn't. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He doesn't well, have – he doesn't. Markinson agrees with you, Tom. Markinson says, I know it's hokey and that a plane really? out of fuel should be able to shoot down another plane. Yeah, it's not. It's it's just a, it's a silly fake out. You know, it, the, the fact we've seen the Stukas like it's like Kenneth Branagh's like, oh, this is the Stuka. Like he, it's like he 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 sort of psychically knows, yeah, this is the Stuka that's going to get me. Now I'm going to die. They've been getting shelled by Stukas all along. Why is Kenneth Branagh suddenly like stricken at this one coming down at him? That was goofy. And then you cannot once you're out of out of fuel, your airplane cannot maneuver in, enough to shoot down another airplane. That's just patent noise. No way. Check it but out. It's only an hour. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And also, it's not making any noise because the engine's off, so the Stuka doesn't hear the plane engine. Right, because that's how pilots <laughs> feel about the plane. They're like, I think I hear one of those. Oh, those listening. Yeah. I hear the, the fire. Yeah. The kid, the dudes on the beach are like, when the second they hear that, and that was one of the things that I love too, is when they hear the airplane buzz coming, they all react at the same time. Well, and they all. And, or the, the guys hearing here at first and then everybody hears it yeah that was also a historical touch is the stukas when when you're dive bombing like an airplane like that you want more time to line up your target you don't want to just come down as fast as you can so the stukas had these air brakes on that would slow them down so that they could line up on the target so that they could aim so that they could come in relatively low uh and 
the the air brakes, just as a side effect, I don't think it was intentional, made this noise, this distinctive kind of scream that the the British certainly learned this meant, yeah, there was an incoming dive bomber. This wasn't what a normal airplane sounds like. The Messerschmitts didn't sound like that. But yeah, that Stuka scream is something that the air brakes did. Yeah, it's like the TIE fighter. Oh, And, was, and I, I loved, by the way, I loved the sa- with the music, just I loved how loud that was. The sound, like, this is a great theater movie. When Dingus talked about going <laughs> yeah. Time. I was so glad I saw this in a theater, and I was yeah. so I was like, "That's really loud, guys. That's is it supposed to be that loud?" And yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I saw somebody. I don't know who it was who who tweeted. Um, guy who was at Dunkirk says movie was much louder than actual Dunkirk. <laughs> really? And that's an old man with deaf ears. <laughs> we have a listener, Alex Burns, who says, "I must say this though, because." He didn't like um, – he talks about the Christopher Nolan movies that he didn't like. And he says, I will say this, though. This may be a masterpiece. So he thinks this movie may be a masterpiece because it was focused and meticulous. And he agrees with you, Tom. The Hans Zimmer score sounded like ticking of a watch really worked for him. I think that's true I, of most Hans Zimmer scores, though. There's always that watch ticking there. Uh, it's pretty Zimmery. Watch parts. I don't always recognize masterpieces when I first see them. Like, I knew the thing was a masterpiece, and I thought everyone around me was crazy at the time because it was getting terrible reviews. But I didn't like Fargo when I first saw it. And then later on, I went, yeah, what? wait, why didn't I like I know. I go, this isn't that great. And then I watched it again. I went, wait, why didn't I like it? I can't remember now. And so maybe this is one of the, this is the Fargo of war movies. Well, we did have one listener, Chris Webb, who did not like the movie. Aha. All right. What well, did he have to say about that? Um, yeah. Uh, he says it's not entirely fair that he didn't like it because it's, after all, a movie directed by Christopher Nolan. And so that it's a war movie directed by him is not a movie for him. Like Tom seeing an Aslan Elmwart is cool movie. <laughs> uh, um, he had said he'd never heard the Battle of Dunkirk before the title. And then he watched a movie called the, Their Finest. Uh, Je- it's a Gemmer, Gemma, Gemmer, Gemma Arterton. I can just, can I just oh. contract her name to Gemmerton? <laughs> uh, and it says, he, he parenthetically says, uh, who uh, co-writes a British pop- propaganda film about two sisters driving their uncle's boat to rescue soldiers at Dunkirk. Uh, so he, pre- he prefers their finest. Did you know that there was Ugh. another Dunkirk movie? In like the 60s, I think 58, maybe. I think it was directed by Richard Attenborough. You mean, another, of course, there, there are tons of Dunkirk movies. It's part of, like I said, yeah. part of British Dunkirk. mythology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was called actually called Dunkirk. Oh, I see. Right, like the name was already taken. Yeah, and, yeah I see. So Chris Webb says he scrolled through the forum and he was surprised to see that multiple people didn't recognize Tom Hardy till the end. Well, there's also Gary Oldman playing Churchill in Dark. What is it? Darkest Hour? No, wait. What is it? What is the Churchill biopic called? Oh God! Anyway, but that's also the, in the trailer that features some uh, little Dunkirk as well. The guy from Time Machine plays Churchill in Inglorious Bastards, I think. The guy <laughs> from my, Time my, Machine. The same scene. Yeah, the, the, guy, the guy from what? The George Powell Time Machine. Rod Taylor. Oh right, right, right. Not oh, Pierce. It's like an old timey actor. Noobs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what what else did uh, any other emails, Dingus? Uh, I think I got to all, I, I can't read all of the stuff that they wrote, but um, 
uh, there was something that oh I, I really did like what Arthur also said that another great movie is Tom Hardy stuck in a vehicle for the entire runtime. Um, <laughs> seems, I didn't yeah. think of that. Yeah. Seems Nolan stole from Locke. Um, and the best driver. Oh, uh, Arthur wants to know what you guys thought of the PG-13 uh, rating because w- one of his things is, um, do you think it needed to be an R rating to really show how terrible the situation was? Uh, because gore can be sometimes be not Al Gore, but the gore of an R movie can sometimes be a bit of a crutch when it comes to displaying the horrors of war. And and he he also mentions, and this is I totally agree with him on this. Um, the last war movie he saw was Hacksaw Ridge, uh, and he was thankful that he didn't have to sit through the childhoods of any of the characters. That it was, even though <laughs> Hacksaw, Hacksaw Ridge is a biopic, but um, Hacksaw Ridge is very much war porn. Um, so, what do you guys think of the PG-13 from Arthur Kelly Wand? I know you're 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 raging at that. You hate that it's not an R-rated movie. Uh, well, we talked about this a little bit already. It's just I think every movie should be R-rated, right? And right, I was right. distracted during this because, especially in that first scene where all the guys get shot and they just drop like in 1940s war movies, and then right. just get like half their head shot off, which to me is would make the movie better personally. But <laughs> by the fact, like I said, it's like since it's not really a battle movie, it maybe wasn't worth. I mean, I think every war movie should be R-rated. For real, um, but it's an evacuation movie, and uh, I don't know. I, I I go back and forth because I think it would have been a little more intense, and that would have been better. But um, when I think of what happens in the movie, there's not a lot of like a lot of it. A lot of the powerful scenes are like where Tom Hardy's in the fighter plane, and he see he like just did you did you shoot open no and you, the fact that you don't know and you don't see anything makes it worse in a way because your imagination does a lot with that but you do know he sees his friend wave at him and then you later find out he's waving through the stuck canopy right i love that like i love right. that it's- yeah i know i meant the uh i meant the the guy he shoots down oh he's oh, like right, right. to see if he because he and he just sort of observes it sort of neutrally like yeah i should know well the first, yeah, the first guy you shoot down, he's like, "Yeah, I got him." I mean, it's right. it's not like, "Woohoo, I did it!" It was yeah. just like, "Yeah, got him. He's he's down." Yeah, Tom Cruise would have played that very differently in Top Gun. Exactly right. right. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, we have a listener. I can't remember who said it. I apologize, but who who said that? If it might have been Chris Webb, who said if the movie had had the courage of its convictions, then the guy, the uh, the guy who gets rescued would have just gone down with his plane and went, and they wouldn't have been able to rescue him. He would have just drowned. I mean, but I don't, we didn't, yeah. uh, no, we don't need that. Well, Ryland, but you're setting up Rylance and like, he right. just happened to be there and save the day. And he's, and he's intersecting the storylines. So right. there's story reasons for it. Um, I, I did not need an R rating at all. I mean, it's it's, it's very yeah, clear early on, and I I think it, if it means more people get to see it, you know, more kids who are that's stupid. Why is that stupid? I want stupid? I want more people to see this. But Me why too. they should if it's R rated, they would should see it anyway. It shouldn't matter. The rating <laughs> yes, shouldn't matter. That's not how that's not how parenting works, Kelly. Wants. Yeah. It's a war movie. You want to? I mean, it don't get the logic of I want my kids to see a war movie, but not one that's too too hardcore like if you're going to take them to see a movie called dunkirk right they should get the full dunkirk experience and either they're ready for it or they're not so do you, do you think that it, uh that dunkirk and saving private ryan would have the same effect on an impressionable kid 
Uh, I'm saying they should. <laughs> well, I, well I, a kid would react very differently to those two movies, I, I think. Like, uh, the, the Saving Private Ryan would be terrifying to a kid in a different way than this wouldn't be terrifying. But are you... But if you're intru- if the point of the movie is to introduce kids to war, and right? Exactly. That's the thing. Saving Private Ryan is about the horrors of war. Dunkirk is not. Right, but well, yeah, okay. okay. I, I don't think Kelly. One, I'm with you. I don't think you can have a horrors of war movie that's not rated R. So I'm with you 100. percent Right. Mm-hmm. And that's However, why I'm kind of wavering on it. Right, right, right. Uh, and I think it's okay to have a, a, a story about the mythology of Dunkirk without gore, without cussing, and without smoking. Actually, I'm sure there was some of each, but but in discrete those, amounts. But those should always be options, is my firm creative <laughs> opinion. But the fact that, like I said, the only there's only like two or three shots in the movie that would have been different with an R rating. So. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Like, but I, I think it's better to have cigarettes in these movies just because I think it's authentic. Like Pearl Harbor is weird because no one smokes in it and it's PG-13, but all those right. guys smoked. And so that just bothers me. I think it's just shitty filmmaking. Kelly Wan Dingus and I Ooh. recently saw yeah. a, a movie that had more than any movie I've seen in a long time that made me want to smoke again, and it was so R-rated. Oh, so <laughs> R-rated. And I love the fact that it was R-rated and they could just have – they could just glamorize smoking all they wanted, and they did. They had no compunction about right. it. Right. Was it <laughs> a period it, piece? Because that's yeah. the thing. If it's yes, a period, it was a period piece, yeah. the rules should be different. Right. And, and Alex, it's Alex, crazy to me. Alex Burns, one of our listeners, says that he thinks that I should take my son to see that movie that you're talking about. Um, is it Atomic Blonde? Yeah, yeah, Atomic Blonde, super R-rated, lots of smoking. But uh, would you? How would you feel, Dingus, about your son seeing Dunkirk? Uh, I right. don't think he'd be that interested. Yeah, in that's it. that's the thing. Is it does it, it might not have enough like actiony stuff for some kids. I could see a teacher trying to yeah. show it to him instead of teaching <laughs> the lesson. Go, why are they always um, running away? Why don't they fight? Fucking pussies. That's it's what Kieran was and this is something that Alexandra said. I mean, Alexandra and I saw this together, and she just thought it was incredible filmmaking. She just thinks it's an amazing it's – it's just amazing filmmaking. And from that point of view, I would want him to see it because I think it's really well put together. Uh, I have but what some you're, issues. Go ahead. Well, but what you're saying is you should really start him with Interstellar. Jesus Christ. Oh, good Lord, really? Yeah, ruin the whole universe for him. Instead <laughs> <laughs> of just beaches. By the way, Markinson agrees with you and me, Tom, about the R rating. He he would have thought that he would object to that and it would take him out of the movie, but on balance, it, it doesn't. It's not a war movie, so I'm going to let it slide. All right. I'm I sure still that, think every movie should be R-rated. I'm sure that Nolan is very relieved to hear that. Because <laughs> you know what? When I was, here's the thing. When I was a kid, everything was for adults, and it was kind of fun in a weird way, like trying to catch up and figure out what Barney Miller jokes were all about. And now everything's for kids, and the thing that's bullshit about it is kids are only kids for like 10 years, and my life's like fucking 70 or 80 years, so I'm totally getting jacked value-wise. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. That, that math, yeah, I'm not sure I understood your math. Right now. I loved your intent behind that, Kelly Wand. Like, I'm an adult most of my life, and a kid's a kid for very a small right, right. minority of its life, so, so why does it get you're everything? Saying, you're irked that the Emoji movie is not for you. <laughs> well, for what reason? <laughs> All of it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't like Inside Out as much as you guys did. Right. I prefer um, movies Dunkirk, R-rated. <laughs> I, 
I know I've said this like three or four times, but I, I, I so love the uh, flying in this because of the Spitfires. My favorite airplane is the P-51, the Mustang, but that's an American plane. Uh, I really love the Spitfires. It's my favorite it, it occurred to me that uh, I learned to drive stick shift in a Triumph Spitfire. My dad uh, taught me to drive stick shift in his Triumph. He loves, uh, he loves English cars. He owns a Morgan right now. Uh, and this is he. He told me this week. This is the first car he bought new, and he said it was six grand. And he took me to this high school parking lot, and he let me drive this thing to learn how to drive stick. His new Spitfire. Um, I just have such I, I just have such affinity for this movie's flying stuff. I'm so crazy about that, but I just wanted to share that with you guys. Uh, there's a whole song about Spitfires. What? What's that? Uh, oh shoot! Who are the guys that did that Spitfire song? <laughs> That's your mnemonic device to remember it. Hold on, I'm googling this. Spitfire, you know the ones who composed that song. Oh, oh, Spitfire. Prodigy, Prodigy. Come on, how do you not know the Prodigy uh, song right. Spitfire? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I know you're a huge Tool fan. <laughs> I actually was. I do I like Tool. What? <laughs> Say so that again. Like... That? <laughs> no, I know what you're doing, Kelly Wand. What are you talking about? I don't, I don't do anything. Dunkirk. All right. <laughs> I'm just how hiding do you, down here on the pier. I don't know what. I had got rid of a cot. I'm just getting, how do you yeah. feel about Tool, Kelly? Mm, Tom's is half sized. <laughs> I'll just edit that out. Thank you very much. Wow. <laughs> Pick at the base. See, see my hands, Kelly Wan? See my hands? I've got no problem. No problem there. Let me tell you what. Look at these hands. No problem. Are you the Scaramucci of this podcast? One, two, three. Not only you and me. Got 180 degrees when I'm cold in between. Counting one, two, three. Feet apart, matter free. Getting down with three feet. Everybody loves open. All right. Well, Kelly Wan, that might have been a uh, – that, that reference might be very specific to a certain period of time because I can't imagine that guy's going to be around for very long. I've heard this before. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> or you just stop guessing what's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to be his presidency afterwards. Well, speaking of things that are long and dark, Dingus, what's this three by three? Back to Tom's tool. <laughs> okay. These are your favorite tunnels. Oh! <laughs> uh, my... I'm going first because I'm introducing next week's three by three. My approach to this nothing good has ever come from a tunnel in a movie what? tunnels are oh, never good yeah there's no good that comes out of a tunnel in movies so all of mine are like Trump tunnels that, these aren't necessarily my favorite tunnels they're the, like they're kind of tunnels i don't like they're not good tunnels none of them are uh and specifically my number three pick it's not a good tunnel because it's actually kind of chintzy looking and it's because this is a very low budget I would go ahead and say no budget movie from a first time filmmaker. It's actually shot somewhere around where I live, so I even recognize the neighborhood. But the tunnel in this, which is supposed to be terrifying and it's supposed to be scary, it's just a pedestrian tunnel underneath the freeway and it's covered in graffiti and there's like neon bulbs in it that light it. Uh, and the director's trying to make it terrifying. I'm not sure it works, but I like that he tried. I'm going to give you guys a couple of lines. Here's the line uh, regarding this tunnel. Did you know there are 109,000 missing persons in this country? 
Guess how many disappeared in tunnels? That's a line in the movie. There's no answer to it, by the way. We are not given any data on how many. When she says that, we're just supposed to infer that a lot of them went missing in tunnels. Here's another uh, bit of science and data from this character in this movie, which I'll reveal in a moment. Quote, <laughs> if everything is made of atoms and atoms are mostly empty space, then how is anything solid? Uh, from beyond. It's that kind of thing. So this Fantastic is the character. Voyage. This is all the exposition explaining why people disappear in this one underpass tunnel in a movie called Absentia, which is directed by a guy named Mike Flanagan. Uh, he's gone on to do Oculus, which was dumb. He did a really cool movie called Hush with uh, Katie Siegel. He's doing uh, a Stephen King movie called Gerald's Game. Do you guys know oh, that? Oh, my. Is? That's uh, the only one I haven't read. Oh. About a chick. Uh, should, I, yeah, okay. should I be yeah. excited about that being a movie? No. no. Oh. <laughs> All right. I, I have I have read Gerald's game. Don't really. Yep. I was counting on you guys. I'll come back to this one. I was hoping you guys would instill me with some enthusiasm because Mike Flanagan is kind of batting five hundred with me in that uh, <laughs> Oculus was dumb. There's a terrible movie called um, Oh shoot, what's the movie where Thomas Jane is terrified by butterflies? Before I wait, Pinky uh, Nights. Oh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, oh, that's that's Rose Matter. Ah, uh, see, good pull. Is that another? Is that something that you Stephen King fans know? It's Lisey's yep. story. Yeah. Uh, so I do like, however, Hush, and I like we, his Ouija sequel, Origin of Evil, which is kind of dopey for a Ouija board movie, but I like that. And Absentia, his first movie I really like, about uh, this woman whose husband has just gone missing, and she is waiting to have him declared dead in, quote, Absentia, which is the legal term for it. How do you spell uh, that? Uh, like absent, you know? with I-A. Oh, okay. Yeah. What if Ouija was – or what if Squeegee was spelled like Ouija? How do you know it's not? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's my third favorite tunnel. It's uh, no movie. It's Mike would, Absentia. Would be great if like a homeless person put a Ouija board on your windshield and said, "Give me a couple bucks and I'll do your Ouija." <laughs> and then I would point the planchet to no. Very good, Kelly Wand. See, planchet. Plan I like yeah. that. See, take that, Gerald's game. <laughs> Not sure about that Dark Tower movie. Whose turn is it? Uh, all right. It's Elba in it. Come on. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Good point. Just so Ready? you guys don't remember. Dingus, you loved it. I thought you loved it. I didn't see it. You didn't tell me to see Absentia. Uh, I know I we saw Absentia? it. Yeah, of course you did. You're the one who you were. You loved it more than me because I even think it's kind of chintzy. Oh. It's, it's so it's the there's a there's two girls in it. One of whom is like the pretty. <laughs> And she's supposed to be a heroin junkie coming back from rehab, and she's definitely not. She's like a 20-something cute L.A. actress, obviously. But the girl who plays her sister, she's pregnant in the movie. She's kind of overweight. She she hasn't really done anything since then. She's had little parts in Mike Flanagan movies, but she was really good in this. And her husband had gone missing. She's since had a relationship with the detective who was investigating it. And then this tunnel, you find out there are these weird bug creatures that are somehow interdimensional, and they pull people into the walls. And you can go in there and you can uh. trade things to get people out of it. How do you, you guys don't remember? Kelly, Dingus, I know you saw it. Kelly one, I thought you saw it too. I wanted I to see Absentia, but I was a no-show. <sighs> Tough room. You, you should be writing uh, like review headlines for Variety. That's what I keep telling them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, all right, so next is uh, Kelly Wan. You're next. What's your third favorite tunnel in a movie? My number three favorite tunnel in a movie. I'll do a quote from it. Oh, where'd the knock list go? Oh, it's in my thing. No, it's in my hand. Nah, it's not the real one. Yeah, it's the real one. Gotcha. Where did the what go? I didn't even hear what you said. The knock list. It's knock Mission list. Impossible. Yeah, that's a good tunnel, right? It's got a it's got a helicopter in it. And it's it's a tunnel, even. Yeah, it's a tunnel chase. Right. That's my number three. Or or you or a chase. Well, no. Well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you take I the first way. I've never seen the channel before, so when I saw it in the movie, I go, oh, that's what it's like. It's helicopter-sized. So You I'm live over there. Why aren't you in the channel all the time? I don't want to go in. It's what? Fucking England? Come on. So there's there's a TV series that's actually pretty good called, I think it's called The Bridge, and it's about a bridge between uh, Denmark and, shoot, would that be Sweden or Norway? I, all those Scandinavian countries were, were sort of blend together. It's got to be it's not racist because it's Scandinavia. Oh, is this the, the weird language one? Well, yeah. So they speak they, they speak both Den, uh, Danish and Swedish. And that the premise of the movie is that uh, somebody was murdered and her body was cut in half and laid where the cut is directly along the border between Denmark and Sweden on the bridge that connects them. And this sets off. Uh, you know, it's it's a police drama thing. Uh, it's like terminal. But it, because it was in another language, we of course had to make an English language vernish, version. Oh, of it. and the English language it. version is called the channel. And it's no. where so yep, it's where somebody's cut in half and laid at the channel at the border between France and the UK. There, her body is like right across that line, and uh, yeah, the channel. Do they, have, I, do they have a train run over her to cut her in half? Well, no, the killer cut her in half, Dingus. Oh, what did Solomon do with the pieces? You, you, way to spoil it. Great, because I haven't watched the end, so it's Solomon that did that. Dead well, the King Solomon. Right, so he came back from, from the grave. The and dead. He, yeah. Huh. That's what wisdom does. Yeah. Makes you come back from the grave <laughs> like a werewolf ghost. <laughs> oh, God, here we go. Remember? <laughs> All right, so Dingus, what is your third favorite tunnel in a movie? Oh, here's a wow. Here's a quote from it. This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. A big damn conspiracy. You're all in on this, including her. JFK. Terms of endearment. Conspiracy theory. No, this is from a movie called The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, God. Stephen King. Here we go. All right. Here we go. It's Mission Impossible with convicts. Yeah. And a. And the hammer, where he uses the hammer to make a tunnel. Yeah, he's the Thor of the prison. <laughs> yeah, a tiny Thor. Tiny Thor accountant. So yeah. this is the tunnel that Andy Dufresne makes uh, to get himself out of uh, Shawshank prison. Um, and as much as I kind of hate the reveal of the tunnel, with the, the prison warden throwing a rock through uh, the huge poster of Rita Hayworth, because um, the original story, of course, was called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, uh, I do love the I love the whole reveal of this. And I went back and forth with this movie and another prison escape movie that we might touch upon later. Um, but I I just I like the payoff of this. I really love uh, the way that uh, Morgan Freeman's voiceover works for 
uh, how he's reconstructed what happens because he's realizing this for the first time and the way that, uh, you know, working that rock hammer down to the nib and, uh, the way Andy Dufresne sets all of that up after having spent 20 years, 20 years to make this tunnel using this rock hammer. Um, so it's that little tunnel out of Shawshank. I'm partial to the tunnel in Green Mile. Oh, you just, I was going to do the, that's where the tunnel leads to. <laughs> all right. I like yours better. Yeah. Damn it. Dead man Gosh. talking. That's not Stephen King. That's not Gerald's game. God. My second. Okay, so if if I don't if I shouldn't be excited about Gerald's game, what is it about? Uh, it's like Cujo, like a woman's handcuff to a sink or something, and a dog. Oh, you know what? Stop, stop, stop. In, in that case, I do want to see it. It sounds cool. Handcuffed to a bed, not a sink. Yeah. Well, a uh, sink's like a bed for liquids. Oh, God, that's <laughs> not. I can't believe you guys don't remember Absentia. I'm so mad. I haven't seen Sorry. it. I can't remember something I haven't seen, or can I? And I, you didn't have an answer for the question, by the way. If everything is made of atoms and atoms are mostly empty space, then how can you? Oh, I was supposed to answer that. Yeah, that's presented as a fact in this movie to explain why there are, are weird insect creatures that come out and pull people into the walls and trade for them. Obviously, like that, therefore, right? Dark exactly. Matter is yeah. most of the universe, and we're the minority in the universe. Exactly, Kelly Wan. We're the Thank Eskimos. You. you just scientifically proved the premise of absentia. I'm going to explain it to Donald Trump. My second favorite tunnel is in a movie. I, let me just explain. Okay. Rex and Saskia are on vacation, right? <laughs> They're dry. Hey, that's their names. Don't laugh. That's the name oh, of their name again. I thought you were just going off on a tangent. Saskia. Saskia. They're on Sask. vacation and they're driving and it's in another country and they've rented a car and the car starts going through a winding road and the rocks start closing in around them and there are cliffs and the, the road becomes more like a, 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 a groove in these cliffs and then a tunnel comes up and they're driving through a tunnel and they've been kind of having a fight, their boyfriend, girlfriend, they've been having a little bit of a fight with each other and in the middle of the tunnel, there's not a lot of traffic or it's super dark, the car runs out of gas and Saskia is like, I told you, you should have gotten gas. They're snipping at each other. He's worried oh, yeah. that someone's going to hit them. And sure enough, a truck comes by, and it's pretty scary because they're, you know, they're worried that a car coming in won't see them. Uh, it's dark. She's like, I've got a flashlight. She's looking for a flashlight. He's, and they, they're just, he's angry that, he, that she's needling him, and they just get in a spat, and he just finally is like, okay, he just walks away and leaves her. And he's going to leave and go get gas and come back. And she's terrified. And she's calling, no, don't, you know, don't leave me. And, and she's just it, – it's a, it's a horrible thing for him to do. He's a real dick for doing it. Uh, and because this is a horror movie, we're thinking, oh, something terrible is going to happen. But no, nothing terrible happens. He comes back with the gasoline. Gasses up the car. They're both very sullen because they've been in a fight. He realized he was a dick. She realized that he shouldn't have done that. Oh, actually, he comes back to the car. She's not there. But he gasses up the car, drives forward. She's walked out to the other end of the tunnel. And then the rest of the movie happens. And all this in the tunnel is kind of a metaphor for the movie. And the movie is based on a novel called uh, – sorry, it's a short story called uh, The Golden Egg. And as they're coming into the tunnel, Saskia is explaining a dream that she had where it's a nightmare where she's trapped in a golden egg. It's a recurring nightmare she's been having, but she most recently had it where there was another golden egg. And when they came together, basically everything 
stopped and ended, and it was the like end of the universe. And this is this weird dream she had, and then the car runs out of gas, and the rest of it happens. So what happens in the rest of this movie is absolutely horrific. This little tunnel thing is kind of a fake-out. And it establishes things that become significant later in the movie. And the movie in France is called The Man Who Wanted to Know. It is, however, uh, it's a Dutch-French movie because Saskia and Rex are a Dutch couple and they're vacationing in France. In France, the movie is called Spurlus, which translates literally to Without a Trace. No traceless. And hmm. in English, the movie is called The Vanishing. And it's, uh, a, ni- it's a 1988 movie oh. uh, from a Dutch director. Uh, and it's it's uh, there's a Criterion version. It, it deserves it. It's a classic horror movie, and it predates Silence of the Lambs. And I think it also presages – that's the second time I've gotten to use the word presage. It presages stuff that in Silence of the Lambs became kind of hackneyed about serial killers and, oh, people might get you uh, – so the, the Vanishing is a, a very unsettling movie, uh, and I, I watched it again. I love that movie, and I love how the tunnel at the beginning is a fake-out, but it ends up having meaning uh, later on in the movie. You know, it's a European movie, so there's a lot of metaphorical so stuff. So you're not talking about the key for Sutherland. So, you know, that's the same director. So this guy, five years later, comes and makes an, an English-language version with Jeff Bridges playing the serial killer and Kiefer Sutherland and Sandra Bullock playing the couple. Uh, and furthermore, I don't want to spoil anything, but he gave it a happy ending. Yeah, which, I saw the ending, and I was ugh. like, oh, my God, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and you Jeff know, Bridges the, is such a goofball. The original has such a great, cruel ending. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's Poe, Poe-esque. Poe-esque. Yeah. Why do they so, keep doing that? Why do they America keep doing sucks, what? Man. Our country's dumb. They just keep making these stupid remakes and giving them happy endings. I don't like that. It's got to stop. You know, but that's the thing is you can't blame America. This guy did it. Like this is what he did with his own movie. Maybe he was doing that because he knew Americans were dumb and they didn't want to see. Like he knew that's that I got I got to make this for dumb Americans. Yeah. I think he's. I, I think everyone thinks that because we are dumb. And if it hadn't had a happy ending, everyone would have gone, oh, man, don't see it. Well, I think everybody hates the remake of The Vanishing. I don't think – I mean it's a dumb – it it, it even ends with a a little goofy gag uh, about coffee. And, oh, we don't drink coffee anymore. Like it's so stupid because there's something with poisoned coffee in it. uh, Yeah. But even what Jeff Bridges is – it's Jeff Bridges, right? Yep. What he's doing with his voice is just – it's just – it's so overdone. You know what it is? I'll tell you what happened to her. It's uh, he's doing an imitation of the director. What? Uh-oh. Yep, he is imitating George. He's doing Hugo Weaving in the Matrix. The guy's last name is Sluzier, Sluzier. He's a, a Dutch fella, but he's imitating the guy's accent. Jeez, was <laughs> all I remember is him like in this big sweater going. And the American one screws up all of the cool timeline stuff they do, by the way, also. Like, there's really crazy timeline stuff in uh, – yeah. not, not crazy, but the, the timeline is very specific in the Dutch version, and the English version just kind of craps all over that and just is like, yeah, we're going to basically kind of go linearly. Yeah. All right, so that now brings us to – Well, you the- actually were the, – the opening way that you were describing that reminded me of this French movie I saw at Sundance – many years ago that was kind of a takeoff on the trouble with Harry. Mm-hmm. Ah, um, I like that movie. The trouble with Harry is where they're trying to get rid of a body, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this great, uh, oh, opening wait. title sequence where they're driving up through the mountains. Um, 
and I thought that you were getting going along those lines, but I can't remember the name of the movie for the life of me. I can't remember what it is, but it's kind of this French black comedy Hitchcock kind of homage movie, but hopefully one of our Wait, listeners will be able to figure out what I'm is talking Is it the about. one where it's like, there's an annoying guest and they want to kill him? I think so. Do you know what I'm talking I just about? Remember, I just remember that the way Tom was describing the drive made me think of that. But anyway, that's neither here Well, you know, so it's actually funny. A lot of horror movies start with people in a car driving somewhere. Like, I I am constantly dismayed when, oh, God, here's the young kids in the car driving somewhere. Like, that opening is so annoying. Uh, Oh, you're right. Funny Games does that, too, yeah. But then Funny Games plays with it, too, by the way, with the music that they're playing. Uh, I just saw a movie. Kelly Wong, what do you think of this title? It Stains the Sands Red. Uh-huh. What do you think Been of that? On that day. What kind of movie? Uh, it's a, like a Blood Beach knockoff. Mm, no? I like where you're going. So, you you know, a, a couple of brothers made uh, these movies called Shallow – or no, not Shallow Grave. Grave Encounters. The Grave Encounters oh, yeah. brothers. One of them split off and decided – I'm not going to use – They were. I think they called themselves like the Butcher Brothers or something. One of the guys, I think his name is Colin Minahan. He split off decided, I'm not going to use that name anymore. And uh, he made a movie called It Stains the Sands Red, which opens with an annoying couple driving somewhere. Oh, so And they're so annoying. But it's kind of a cool movie. And uh, it's – I'll just say it's a zombie movie basically. Oh, huh. So it's the Grave Encounters guy. It's nothing like Grave Encounters. Uh, it's nothing like it, and one of the one of the things that I treasure in zombie movies, if it is unique, and uh, it stains the sands red, is definitely a unique take on uh, zombies. So I recommend that. Uh, I don't hate the the kids driving in car opening because I think it's just a trope of horror that we're that we should enjoy because we're going, oh, these characters are annoying. I hope they all die, and then they usually do. It's also – so I, I reviewed a, a movie called Killing Ground, which you should probably see, Kelly Wand, which is the same thing. But it's also a way to establish these are characters going to a strange place that they're not used to where things can get them uh, – like they're, they're leaving their comfort zone. It's a way to get characters out of their home because otherwise it's a home invasion movie, right? Like otherwise yeah. if you're just home and there's a monster, that's home invasion. So you have to be leaving your home, going to a cabin or on a road trip, going camping, uh, but oh, Killing yeah, Ground, Lake. Uh, yeah, well, Killing Ground also opens with a uh, a couple driving somewhere. Oh, how annoying! Every found footage movie that I can think of opens with. How car. about the the family driving somewhere in El Incidente? Oh, that's yeah. in the middle, though. That is true, right? But yeah, but the middle opens <laughs> with someone driving somewhere. Yeah, and actually, it doesn't open. They're leaving their house first to drive. A uh, cabin in the woods. I, I think that Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard definitely played with that. Is hey, we're gonna have. You know, kids driving out somewhere to go to the cabin. Yeah. The Osterman weekend. You know, that's my uh, next week's two by three. Your favorite kids driving somewhere at the opening of a movie <laughs> where it's going to be a horror movie. New Hope. Uh, a movie that cares. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Rogue One kind of ruins it, but yeah. <laughs> it's a joyride. Kelly Wan, I think everybody on this podcast now wants to know, what is your second favorite tunnel in a movie? Uh, I'll do a line from it, although I may – I'm just sort of paraphrasing because I forget exactly how it's worded. I think it's like, ah, my robot's gone crazy. Uh, there's a monolith over here. 
there, there are no tunnels in 2001. Yeah, there's the best tunnel. That's what I'm saying. It's the longest, most exciting tunnel. Oh, boy. It's the one at the end, the wormhole tunnel. That's a tunnel. Right. Dingus, you deal with this. I mean, I thought of the contact one, but that tunnel takes her somewhere kind of shitty. But the 2001 tunnel turns them into an old band. That's fucking great tunnel. I like felt that. like it was. I felt like it was more of a funnel for my interest in the movie. And because the paint's getting funneled, that's how he did that special effect. Mm-hmm. His paint represents not a tunnel. What? It's a, a tunnel. space tunnel. It's a space tunnel. It's You're a wormhole a tunnel. tunnel. What? A wormhole. Wormhole's a tunnel. It's a Look, tunnel. He's going through the if, model. If Tom tunnel. chooses Interstellar as his number one, then you can you can have that. I've got right, it on the runners up. I'm say, I have here is a wormhole that takes him to Beetlejuice or wherever. Uh, I had it here. Is that a tunnel? Great. Right. I'm going to choose every every Star Trek movie that's ever been made. Done. Mm, well, warp drive is not a wormhole, is it? Hmm. A, warp, a warp drive does not go through a, a tunnel. Let me get a piece of paper here, fold it in half, and stick a pen through it. Is that how Star uh, Trek works? That's how the core kills Earth. Wait, is that how Star Trek works? They don't do that in Star Trek. Bones, this paper. No, you guys, you guys don't know. What? Kelly Wand, uh, what did we decide your number two? <laughs> oh, 2001, right. 2001. So that's a tunnel. It's got huh. the number two in the name of it. A space tunnel. Hmm. Well, here's the thing. There were no space tunnels before 2001. So it's the primordial space tunnel. What do you mean there were no space tunnels before? Two- nobody nobody used a wormhole before ni- before 2001. Before 19, Name what was it. that? 63? When, when does that movie come out? Even worms didn't. 68. 68, okay. Uh, science fiction. And didn't they, did they not go through a wormhole? Didn't Charlton Heston go through a wormhole in Planet of the Apes? No. Really? Okay. It was time warp. Hello. <laughs> there was no tunnel involved. She just woke up and the old woman was dead. Except she wasn't old. All right. I guess he's got us on that, Dingus. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, Dingus. That's right. An hour in jail is going to be seven years here on Earth. So enjoy that. <sighs> Look, Gerald's game has a tunnel in it, but I didn't pick it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. So there's a dog that's trying to get her. Like it's like it's like Cujo. No. Oh no. Dog's right. not trying to get her. She's now, you know what? Stop talking. Stop talking. I don't want you guys to ruin the next Mike don't, Flanagan movie for me. Don't read Gerald's game. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to see the movie. Oh, don't, well, good for just you. Don't. <laughs> I think I'm even going to see that goofy Dark Tower thing. Or yeah. I'm de- I'm definitely going to see Dark Tower. I mean, I I loved the first couple books. You read them? Yeah. You read two of them. Uh, I read all. I might have read three of them. I could have read them. Everybody likes them, and I, I just put it aside. It's one of the few books, book series that I've read by ear. uh, Uh, When I when I was doing a lot of running, um, I downloaded uh, a lot of those audio books, and I really liked the guy who was reading it. I don't know who he was, Um, but I I enjoyed. I mean, I read the first book with my eyes, but I read the rest with my ears and, um, well, not the rest, but I, I got, I think I got three books in and then I ran out of steam. I used my nose. So that's why I didn't get past the first one. Mm. You know, nose has two tunnels in it. I used my tongue and that's why I didn't get uh, past four. See, it happens in 2001. So that's the year we discover the space tunnels. Not a space tunnel. Uh, you're such a weirdo. What's, what's, what? 
Huh? There was no 9-11. It's, you say Barracuda, you say space I would say tunnel. 2010 huh? has, a, has a more viable space tunnel than 2001. No. That's right. I said it. What? Huh? <sighs> That's not a tunnel. That's a slingshot. They slingshot it. You're a slingshot. Hmm. Where's Tom? I'm over here eating a cracker while you guys talk about Stephen King. All right, so I'm going to talk about so, my second choice for tunnels. Here's a quote from it. We should take the indirect route, the one that's in broad daylight and not underground. Oh! Is it 28? Hold on. Is it 28 crackers later? Is it really? Yeah, 28 days later. Nice. Uh, uh I thought so, yeah, this was Tom's this is, number one. This is one of my favorites uh, because uh, they stop before. Uh, I just love I love the pace of this movie. It's so much. It's such a joy to watch this movie. And one of those movies, again, I've said this many times, it's really hard to just watch a scene from it without keeping watching the movie. That whole sequence where they're shopping. Oh, man, it's such a joy watching them shop. And Brendan Gleeson's so good. Oh, my God. It's such a great movie. And. It has one of the stars of um, Dunkirk in it, as it turns out. And his name is not Cillian. Kelly. Um, so uh, that whole weird sequence where they're driving through the tunnel, and then this is totally inadvisable. And then there's a blockade uh, that's been set up as a, as a trap for them. They drive over it. And Brendan Gleeson, I, I had forgotten this. Uh, as the taxi driver, because they're driving his taxi. He's driving his taxi. He's just having the time of his life driving over this huge mound blockade. He's just having a ball. He's like one of the Dukes of Hazard. He's laughing his head off, and the rest of them are kind of going along with it. They're laughing as well. I mean, they don't know what's about to follow or what's going to happen, but it, it's this weird moment where it seems like the actors are just having a ball uh and of course they get a, a flat tire which uh is the second time i saw that this week because there was a flat tire in interstellar at the beginning um and so they get out to try to change it and there's that moment where you hear this weird sound in the tunnel and killian murphy's character is totally nervous he's like what's the sound what's going on and it turns out these are rats rats are rushing down the tunnel toward them and uh brendan gleason's daughter hannah is under the car putting the jack under there so that they can jack up the car in order to change the tire and all the rats come flooding past her but they're not interested in these humans they're trying to escape the infected and that's what um naomi harris says the infected are coming and so all of a sudden they have to change this tire super fast in order to get out of this tunnel because in this darkness the, the infected are going to get them, and they've been trapped. And I forgot this, that Brendan Gleeson basically lifts the car so that his daughter can change the tire. He's like, we don't have time for the jack. I'm going to lift the car up. Vin Diesel. So he <laughs> – yeah, like Vin Diesel. So he and Killian Murphy lift the car up, and Naomi Harris, I think, all three of them, although um, I kind of lost track of that because I was so excited about watching it, uh, in order to change the tire and then drive off before the infected can get there in time. But I just love that that all takes place in a tunnel. Although the weird thing about the tunnel is that it's huge inside. I mean, the, the, 
the uh, the ceiling of the tunnel is so high up. Uh, it's it's weird looking, but the entrance to the tunnel is very ominous. And and Killian Murphy's character saying, "Why don't we not?" Because Naomi Harris is the one who says this is the most direct route, and he says, "Why don't we not take that route then?" Uh, and I love the way that plays out. All right, two questions for you, Dingus. Uh, did you say that it was a blockade set up as a trap for them? It doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Well, no, uh, no. Yeah, who? Wait, who's who set it up and who's trying to trap well, them? Well, it can't be the infected. The infected can't do that. <laughs> so, uh, but I know that uh, when I was looking at my DVD, I'm pretty sure that chapter is called the blockade. Like the, the uh, chapter but I think, on the right. DVD. I think it's just abandoned cars, though. I don't think it's like a a blockade or anything. Well, uh, no, like like someone set it up to keep the infected out. I don't know what it is, but there, it's not just cars because there's there's trash, there's there's other things. So that you know, when he drives his taxi cab, he can actually run up basically uh, an improvised ramp. That's a bunch of crap that's put there. It's not right, just I'll, cars. I'll take it up and, with the people who titled the segments in the DVD. Then I, I could be blockade. wrong about all of that, but but obviously the the infected are not setting up blockades. Right. I did want to make sure you knew that because because yeah. my second question for you. Infected with what? Rage. No, thing is, it's the rage virus. It's not just rage. Oh. It's not just they're mad. It's not like oh. they're hulks or anything. You're supposed to call it the rage virus. I'm very disappointed in you. That's well, the hulk of the car. They're all they're always raging. <laughs> hey, uh, did you know that in the original script for 28 Days Later, there was going to be a plot line where Cillian Murphy. <laughs> has magic blood and they were going to use it to save the Gleason guy but then they went, that's too far-fetched because you'd have to lose all of his blood and we'd set up that only one drop would do it so that's biologically impossible so then they scrapped that idea the Gleason guy <laughs> that's your yeah. name yeah, for Jackie Gleason. I like that he almost said Killian's Murphy name right did you hear right. that from? Yeah. <laughs> he had to pull back from that Stop and by the way I've, I've described that en- that ending more than once on this podcast. So yes, I have heard of it, and it's not oh. that he has magic blood. Oh, yeah, that's what I would do. A transfusion. Yeah, but I, that's so that's a common thing. Dingus is with the when the the pandemic. Like, who's the person with the magic blood that can cure the pandemic? Will Smith. Yeah, no. like that's. I mean, not, not technically mad, but that's kind of like Rick the narrative. Grimes. The narrative function of the the blood. Do you think Rick Grimes is going to have magic blood? Ew. I hope so. That explains Rick the beard. Grimes. Ah, we're trying to talk about Walking Dead over here. Hello. Hey, Dingus. You're, you're not invited. And the Lincoln Tunnel. So. No, why did you go straight to Stephen King, Kelly? While we were sharing a Walking Dead moment, you oh, jumped oh. straight to Stephen King. Go ahead. Talk about your Stephen King stand stuff. Go ahead. Remember the Lincoln Tunnel? It's scary, and then he has to go through the Lincoln Tunnel. Larry Underwood. Have you seen any of the, the stand movies, Kelly? Oh, I saw God. part of the TV one. It's fucking lame. Haha! <laughs> 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 you guys are watching so, TV movies of Stephen King novels. Nice work. I so freaking love that book. I, there's no way I could ever watch a movie of it, I don't think. Well, isn't McConaughey, Randall Flagg, and the Dark Tower books? Wait. What? That sounds like a spoiler. What? I actually know who Randall Flagg is for some reason. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to know. Really? Yeah, he sets off the nuke. No, that's Trash Can Man. God, who's Randall Flagg? It's his boss. No, <laughs> that's that's that, uh, that's Trash Can Man. Isn't the isn't the virus called like Captain Howdy or Captain Duty or something? Captain Trips. Captain, Captain Trips. Duty. <laughs> 
No, uh, Captain Howdy is... the demon and exorcist. Right. All right. There is no Captain Duty that I know of. They both have the same rank, though. Just like... (laughs) (laughs) Fun, just don't. My favorite tunnel, and it's not my favorite, it's my least favorite. I did not go back and watch this movie. I'm not sure it's a scene I'd want to watch in uh, out of context. Something uh, I thought. My favorite tunnel is uh, what Gaspar Noe does, it, that horrible scene in Irreversible, oh, with that just, just red. It's, a, it's just a, a pedestrian tunnel. You know, they had one in Absentia, and they couldn't be bothered to make it look – I mean, they didn't have the budget to make it look scary. But it's in, pedestrian. In, uh, in Irreversible, that pedestrian tunnel, it's, it's like hell. He makes it – Gaspar Noe has no compunction about production design to make a pedestrian tunnel in Paris – look like a demonically influenced patch of hell. Uh, and so I, yeah, there's not much that needs to be said about that. It's uh, certainly memorable. And we now go to Kelly Wan's favorite space tunnel or, or it could be a land tunnel. Let's find out. We're this a is canal. Mm. Oh yeah. Look, who's talking at the beginning. That's how I learned a lot about, uh, Okay, here's some quotes from my number or, one. Or enter the enter the void. Uh, is it raining? Is it snowing? Is a hurricane a blowing? Not a speck of light is showing, so the danger must be growing. Are the fires of hell glowing? Is the oh, I know this one. I know this. Can I guess? Yeah. Isn't it Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah. Sweet. This is right because the they go into the. There's a boat tunnel. Yeah. And, and there's a got, big old lizard eye. That looks yeah. at you. Yeah. Centipede or something? Yeah. And it's a chocolate factory. And he, for some reason, he has this fucking tunnel in the chocolate factory. Kelly Wan, that... A hell tunnel. That movie needs to be rated R. What? <laughs> Where do you think I've the read... chocolate comes from? Uh, Augustus Gloop uh, had uh, some bad uh, clams. Tunnel. Breakfast. And, uh, but yeah, um, I think I read in People Magazine... <laughs> Wow. This there is never anything in the history of the world, nothing interesting has ever been said after those words. <laughs> that um, when they were filming the boat scene, uh, the <laughs> chick who played um, Violet um, liked Charlie and Veruca Salt also liked Charlie. And then he broke up with Veruca Salt when they were shooting the boat scene. I rest my case. Kelly Wan just proved the 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 point I was making. (laughs) Just like Jules and Jim, but it was Wonka. Oh God! Why do you like that tunnel so much, Kelly? Uh, I love the fact because it's so random in the movie at that point. Because Augustus, first off, the fat kids just died or shot up a tunnel, a different tunnel, and then they're like, "All right, well." We'll worry about that later. Here comes a boat, and so they go in this tunnel, and there's like <laughs> nothing. Everything else in the movie is somehow candy themed. I'm like, yeah, it's a TV room because they're gonna make the candy candy fit on the TV. Like, all right, I get that. I have no idea why this tunnel. I don't. I think it's in the book. Uh, like why it's there, and it takes them to the blueberry world. Or the Kelly, uh, Kelly one. Did you just confuse a pipe, a pipe, and a tunnel? Yeah, he did. <laughs> Well, it's a vertical tunnel. <laughs> like a vertical smile. Is a well a tunnel? Oh, you know what it could be? Mm. Yes. You know what? I, I should have made 
clear that we, and I'm glad none of us fell into this trap, that, that a cave and a pipe are not the same thing as a tunnel. I, I might accept a well, like the well from the ring. Well, she crawls up it like a tunnel. Hmm. <laughs> well, Tunnels let's find out. Let's find out. If, let's see if it's going to be an issue by asking Dingus what his favorite tunnel in a movie is. Oh! Is it the well from the ring? Is not. Probably. I do want to say that for years, uh, I, I have a huge, huge affection for Willy Wonka. But that sequence that Kelly Wanda is describing used to make me so nauseated to watch it. I, Why? I don't know. It was just, it was just weird. The images were too weird for me. Weird. Yeah, it, and Slugworth's on the, in the movie. Remember? Or in, yeah. on on the tunnel wall, like why is he there? Is yeah, yeah, but he yeah. works for Wonka, so Wonka's fucking with Charlie in the tunnel for no reason. He doesn't right, even give him a stopper yet. He's just like yeah. fucking with Charlie. Exactly right. Exactly Because right. Slugworth, because that guy actually does talk to all the kids. So forget what I just said. He's not fucking with Charlie specifically. He's fucking with all the kids. Like look at that guy. Right. Uh, but uh, I used to I used to hate that part of the movie, and then as I got older. I started to understand, okay, this is why that's here. But uh, even I to this day when it. I watch it, 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 it still makes me cringe. Um, so it's a good choice. I mean, I'm just I'm telling you it's a good choice. Uh, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even thought of it because that part of the movie always made me cringe and made me not want to watch that part of the movie. Well, when it, I was a kid, it, just, it really freaked me out. And then later in life, I was like, wait, I, pretty, I think that was just a nightmare I had. And then I saw the movie and I went, no, they really do go through that tunnel. It does feel like a nightmare, yeah. And, it's and imagine that happening in a kids' movie now. That's why I love that movie. Is it's one of the and it's it's one of those things where they just this is why movies suck now is they don't have really creepy weird shit that kids aren't supposed to well, see in kids' movies. And it, well, do you do you consider Coraline to be a kids' movie? Um, I consider it uh, an exception to the rule. <laughs> All right, because I've been you know I talked to Tom about this before. When would be the right time to show that movie to your kid? Because it doesn't feel like a kid's movie, but it would depend on the kid. That's the thing. That's why the rating system's horseshit. This is why I'm standing by, standing firm on this. Is not every kid's the same. So having it age based is stupid. Some kids are ready for it at 13. Some are ready at nine. I was reading. That's why I watch most movies first before I show them to my kid if they're questionable. So then the rating system's useless too, because you're you're doing the research you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, but most people don't do that. that. Because they're lazy pieces of shit. Oh, all right. Kelly Wan, the rating system is not saying kids can't go to this movie. It is, right. a, par- it is, a, it is a parental advisory. Right. It is advising parents, hey, these things are here. You might want to take this into consideration because you probably know more about your child than we do. So we're right. telling you these things are here. Consider them. If you want well, to take your kid, knock yourself out. Go for it. This is what I say to you when you go, well, but they want peop- they want kids to see it, right? So it's like you're really just arguing my case because I – what? Cause I, <laughs> what? How did you turn that around, <laughs> Doug? <Nugget? laughs> I did. Totally you can take it from a old to Dunkirk and go, see? <laughs> well, go to war, son. So yeah, that's true. Uh, but no one does it that way. And that, so the rating system is stupid for that too. Is Wait, pizza, are, you, are you saying I just lost the argument? I'm saying that no one thinks the way you just said, even though what you said's accurate. Like no one. Oh yeah, uh, Dunkirk's a kids' movie. Can't believe he got me. Wow. Wow, that was pretty. Your debate skills, Kelly Wan, you're just on point there, man. Shot me down. That was some jujitsu. 
Um, and it's math based, so I'm very impressed that Tom failed. See, look, Kelly Wan. If the atom consists mainly of empty space, how come? How come every? How can anything solid ever exist, Kelly Wan? You see? See? If the jellyfish is 99% water, we should just add 1%, so it's all water. <laughs> Carl Pilkington. Who the, <laughs> that is very Pilkington. Carl Pilkington. That's great. <laughs> Kelly Wan, who on this podcast? Who's the Carl Pilkington in this podcast? I want. Well, me, but I'm. I'm not nearly as cool. I was going to tell you, if you look around the podcast and you don't know which one is the Carl Pilkington, it's you. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I wish I was the merchant. But. Dingus, what is the best tunnel in all of moviedom? Here's don't ever point a weapon at me again. Captain America. No, this is from the movie Sicario. And this is the tunnel at the end. Um well, near the end, uh, where uh, they're uh, going through the tunnel and uh, uh, fighting all the way through the tunnel, all the way out to the other end. Uh, and then, of course, she has to fight her way all the way back. Um, I love that tunnel. Uh, I love the way it looks. Uh, I love the fact that when they're going in, uh, I think it's uh, Brolin's character who says something along, along the lines of weapons free, my friend, weapons free. Uh, and they're all in um, night vision in the beginning in the beginning area in the beginning parts of the tunnel. So you, when you're going into the tunnel, it's night vision, and you're like seeing like footprints, and all of the combat is going on that way. Then eventually that comes off, and you see that how this tunnel has been constructed uh, for all of this. I mean, there were there are a couple of these these kind of constructed underground tunnels for this kind of thing, but I love this one most of all, uh, and that she works her way all the way through it and, and emerges out the other end and then has to work her way back down. Didn't one of the Fast and Furious movies have one of those tunnels and they had to chase yeah. through it? Yeah, that was that was one of the ones that I had as an early choice um, where they're they're driving super fast and they just break through this yeah, fake, the, the, fake, fake rock but, wall. Yeah, you can do that. If you go fast enough, you'll break through a cliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and there are false false ways you can go, and the cars are chasing each other through them um, and uh, knocking their doors off and whatnot. Which but, dumb yeah, Fast and is... movie, Fast and Furious movie is this one? Which one is oh, this? Oh, jeez, I, I couldn't tell you. Fast and Furious Sex. Yeah. Furious right. Sexer. So one That's of the, the British one. A British one? How is it British? It might have been four. I don't remember which one it was, but right. it was exactly. Oh, I didn't see four. About. Where they where they have a tunnel chase, yeah. and I did consider that for a while, but you went with this Sicario movie instead. Yeah, Sicario is a little known <laughs> movie. Um, it's Fast and Furious on foot. I am but, so freaking tired of having to not watch Blade Runner trailers. Can, yeah, is, it Octo- is it October sixth already? Jeez, a Pete. Jeez, every time I walk into a movie theater, there's one other showing, even if I'm not there to see a movie. It seems cryptic crazy. enough to not bother me. I'm like, oh yeah, it's probably something. No, I don't want to see. I don't want to see a single image from it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't even care if it's Philip K. Dick. I just want uh, Dennis Villeneuve and yeah, Roger like Deakins. Roger Deakins too. Come on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And right, Ryan Gosling from La La Land. Exactly. I hope he sings. La La Land. <laughs> uh, didn't uh, Didn't Roger Deakins do? Probably better. He did do Sicario, yes. Yeah. He, he's got a working relationship with uh, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. 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 All right. 
Oh, go ahead. Warren Supremacy is one of his tunnels. I do love that tunnel, but let's save that for runners-up. Because that doesn't have to – there's nothing innate about that tunnel that's cool. It's just one of the places that Chase goes when they need to run Carl Urban into an abutment. You know, the tunnel conveniently (laughs) provides one. Uh Uh, There's nothing special about that tunnel. Uh, Remind me to tell you about a movie called Tunnel. But that's Mm. after we get the listener picks. Dingus, what tunnels have the listeners chosen? I can't wait to hear about the movie called The Abutment. So, <laughs> all right. First, we have Keith Lee. Hello. Had to had to delve deep for these, except for number oh, three, like you. Uh, and number one, which are up mountains. Uh, Keith Lee's number three, The Return of the King. Ooh, that's is a is a mine a tunnel? Torich Ungol, the tunnel at the top of the winding stair in the pass of Sirith Ungol. Oh. Dingus has somehow let his Sindarin become rusty, so to assist him in the name, Sirith Ungol is pronounced Kirith Ungol. (laughs) White man's anime. (laughs) White man anime. Thank you, Keith. Uh, So Sirith Ungol, instead of being um, uh, Cillian Murphy, is Kirith Ungol. He means cleft of the spider. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Shelob, the denizen of the tunnel, is a descendant of Ungoliant. Yes. An ancient yep. spider demon. Mm-hmm. Ungoliant. The hobbits were led to this dangerous passage by Gollum to meet the spider and their doom in that order. Torith, Torak, oh, Jesus. Morgoth. Torak Ungol is a splendid tunnel, lots of skeletal remains and backlit cobwebs and such. And Smeagol is right to relish telling himself about it as he workshops his treachery with his alter ego in a puddle. <laughs> you know that, dude. Yeah, and go in. All right, Keith Leaf uh, and his uh, weekly choice of top secret. Number two, top secret. Uh, Dr. Flamond, mm. after a few weeks with a prison spoon, has burrowed... <laughs> Right, you just you just totally went up to me on my uh, uh, Shawshank pick. Prison spoon. Well done. The prison spoon has burrowed out a fully electrified mile-long subterranean two-lane blacktop with markings and cat's eyes. He has yeah. earned that nice work from Nick Rivers. All right, Keith, you just Top shamed secret. me. Thanks for shaming me, Keith. Uh, Keith, number one, spore lose. The fuck. Without a trace. That is Tom's the vanishing. That's what it means. That, yeah. Like Tom's that, eating uh, limbus right now. Yeah, you don't, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> With mithril on it. I mean, uh, Lorna Dunes. From Lost Lorry. Keith Leaf is choosing the vanishing from 1988. Ah. 1993 remake. My God, why, why, why did that happen? Protagonist's girlfriend is scared by an abandonment in a tunnel with good reason. It's a dark mountain passage with goods, vehicles, and blind bands, which engenders the promise to never leave her so again and is the first and last stage of a journey along the dark road. Yeah. So Keith really dug this topic, and he totally took me to school. Get it? Get it? Uh, Michael Strait. Michael Strait, long-time listener, hmm. first-time 3x3 contributor. 
Oh. Concerned, some of my picks were more like corridors than tunnels. Uh oh, total so difference. I, cons- I consulted with a three by three lawyer. <laughs> wow. Uh oh. Who assured me that as Not long cheap. as they were, as long as they were round and underground, I'd be a free man. Hell yeah. Well, wait a minute. Well, a, a corridor underground. It, it, how, all right. Whatever. Wait. That's what a tunnel is. Yeah. Oh, although, wait a minute. What about a corridor? What about a hallway in a basement? Hmm. I don't know. I, I think there might be some trouble coming down the pike here with this new Michael Strait fella. Dude. All right, we'll it see. It's be long and narrow, and so does the tunnel. So Michael Strait gives a quote. Uh, so if you want to kill me, do it. Make Snow happy. I'm tired of killing his slaves for him. Oh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> in a train tunnel beneath District 2, Katniss Everdeen... Oh, Jesus oh. Christ. <laughs> I feel embarrassed no longer. Ha, <laughs> ah, you guess Game of Thrones. Uh, gives an amazing speech to the fellow holding a gun to her head, convincing him that they should all be on the same side in the Hunger Games, Mocking Jay Part 2. Oh, you saw that one? Katniss was in the middle of filming propaganda when this guy got the jump on her. And it's one of the amazing moments in these movies where the viewer is simultaneously convinced she's 100% sincere, but also admiring how this is going to be perfect fodder for the resistance propaganda. Uh, getting the jump on Jaylor. <laughs> um, his next quote is, hey, said the guard. Oh, this is a good one. Said the guard who spotted Helen Parr getting stuck in several doors at once as she is stretched out sneaking through the tunnels in Syndrome's underground lair in The Incredibles. Yeah, it does sound like his distinction about corridors. Like yeah. he's alerted us to the fact that he's trying to get away with something. Michael, I like this scene very much. He has one arm in the room with a guard pats around his face like a friendly blind person. <laughs> like a friendly blind person meeting someone. Friendly. And then socks him in the jaw. I don't know if I've ever had a friendly blind person pat me on the face. That what happened in Dunkirk, that? didn't it? Lionel yeah. Richie's girlfriend did that to me. Then she made a head and sculpted my head. Hello. All right, Michael Straits, number three. Quote, the human body, one of the dirtiest things in the known universe. Ugh. Uh, a group of scientists make their way through a crazy gauntlet of decontamination procedures, including twice taking off their clothes and burning them. And that better be what I think it is. If it is, an entire I'm game himself. Yeah. Layer of skin blasted off as they go deeper and deeper into wildfire, the secret, secure yeah. underground lab in the Andromeda strain. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that like Robert Wise or someone like one of those old timey directors? Well, no. It's. I think it's Michael Crichton. Gandalf wrote it, but yeah. Yeah, he didn't drink it. Um, 1971. I saw this when I was eight years old, Uh and the portrayal of how deep underground they were going and all the steps they had to go through apparently made a huge impression on me. Obviously, the train at the end of North by Northwest is the best use of a tunnel. See, he was eight years old seeing Andromeda Strain. That's my point. Rating system stupid. Michael Strait, uh, thank you so much. He says, thanks for the podcast, and you're welcome. Uh, Arthur Giovanangeli. Oh, yes. I'm so glad he does this. Okay. Number three. Um, out of sight. Luis Guzman and his friend dig a tunnel to escape prison. Rather than rat them out or try to get them to take 
him with them, fellow inmate George Clooney steals a guard uniform and follows them through the tunnel after the alarm has been raised. When he emerges from the tunnel on the outside of the prison, he pretends to be a guard who gave chase from the inside. A lie that is enhanced <laughs> by the confusing situation and the mud that got on him during his crawl. High-level tunnel strategies by Clooney's clever character. Uh, Arthur's number two. I'm particularly pleased by this because this is one of my early ideas, too, and I really like this, Arthur. Uh, fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> After their home under a tree is destroyed by Bogus, Bunce, and Bean, <laughs> the Fox family digs like crazy to get away. They end up creating a huge tunnel system that allows them and the other animals in the neighborhood to secretly steal from the farms of the three men that are trying to kill them. Wes Anderson gives us a great shot of the entire tunnel system, and I love how he made sure to include large rocks that they had to dig around in the image. We see the system one last time when it is flooded with Bean's famous alcoholic cider. That's a great one, Arthur. Mm. Uh, Arthur's number one, Snowpiercer. Uh-oh. Uh. A movie I have not seen. The train in which the movie takes place enters a long tunnel during a huge fight between Chris Evans's Evans re- rebels and the train's security force, cutting off all light inside the cars. Soldiers are ready for this and are equipped with night vision goggles, allowing, allowing them to slaughter the rebels. Uh, the rebels, however, also had a plan that they bring torches up from the rear cars. Uh, the strange lighting that this produces is used to great effect throughout the remainder of the battle. Hmm. Interesting. Next, next, we have Alex Burns, who says, Hey, ding dongs. Here are three lazy picks. <laughs> Who's from, he talking to? From creature feature movies I haven't seen in a while. Oh. Uh, number three, Tremors. Ah. Uh, I mean, that's what these creatures do. They tunnel ma- they're, they're tunnel makers. Also, I have to give you one, I guess, the tunnel that breaches the basement in Tremors 2. And they destroy it with an elephant gun. Uh, anyway, number two, Cabin in the Woods. The tunnel that acts as the entryway into the controlled scenario. When the kids try to escape, oops, the tunnel collapses. Eventually it leads to motorcycle jump gone awry by Thor. And number one for Alex Burns, The Descent. Mm. Ah, not a cave at all. Sure, no, it's, it's a tunnel. Yeah, that's yeah. Not, it can't, it's not a cave. Yeah, it's a tunnel. Yeah, I uh, couldn't, couldn't help but think of this movie immediately, unlike the Tremor creatures. These creepy crawlies only attack attractive humans. I'm sure there's a really good specific tunnel. The only one I can think of is towards the beginning. Two of the women are trying to get through a very tight tunnel, and one is freaking out, afraid she won't be able to make it through. To calm her, the other woman retells a familiar joke. How do you give a lemon an orgasm? You tickle with citrus. Thanks, boyos. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, Nick D, number three. Wait, is there is, is there no jail sentence being meted out? It's a tunnel. That's, no, those are caves. Yeah, a tunnel is were... something that has been done. If if the tunnel was created by like water, it's called a cave. If it was yeah. created by water over thousands of years, that's called a cave. If a, t- a tunnel is something that people dig, it's an active verb. You tunnel, and after you've done that, a tunnel is made. Water does not. I guess. Uh, 
I thought you were making, I thought you two were, because uh, I don't remember The Descent as well as you guys do. And I think we saw it as a midnight movie at Sundance. Um, but I think it's a cave. I don't think it's There's tunnels. no tunnels. They so, go yeah, through. there's no tunnels. In, Wait, they in, go through a tunnel in it, though. No, like the there's spelunkers. When you spelunk, you to, Kelly Wan, you don't go down a tunnel. You go down no, a cave. Dig, you have to dig or build a tunnel. It's something that's made. Yeah, Kelly Wand. But Earth made it. <laughs> right. Wind and water made the tunnel. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Who made the tunnel in 2001? See, we don't know. <laughs> right. The baby, the big, the giant baby from 2001. The baby. <laughs> the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait till she starts going till she explores a bunch of tunnels in the Tomb Raider movie as Lara Croft. It'll be so much I fun. I can't wait till she fills out. <laughs> the light between tunnels. All right, so three way three <laughs> tunnels, Nick D. Uh, uh number three, body double. Uh Craig Wasson Wasson? Wasson? I don't know how to say his name. Chases a mysterious purse snatcher and is about to catch him when they enter a tunnel. But Craig Wathon is claustrophobic and cannot continue. The scene is both hilarious and creepy for Wathon's overacting and De Palma's over-the-top zoom camera. Definitely memorable. Nick D. So Nick D. chooses The Great Escape. I chose um, oh, it's a good one. Shawshank over Great Escape. Uh, what? Huh? Why don't you go with the better movie? Well, because uh, I think... Great Escape has uh, doesn't have as good a payoff. Yeah, it does. And also, um, it's referenced in Reservoir Dogs. Oh, okay. He's digging tunnels. Uh, the best part of this movie for me was always the first half, where they are digging the tunnels. You don't really get to see much of the inside of the tunnels, but I love the clever systems they use to camouflage the openings during surprise inspections. Now, I will say that um, I think Nick D does kind of get a leg up on me on this, because... Um, the way that they get rid of the dirt, you know, by basically taking it up in their pockets and dumping it out through their pants. Um, Andy Dufresne does the same thing. Uh, it's it's basically cribbed from The Great Escape. And Nick D's number one, Irreversible. Monica Bellucci enters a tunnel and encounters an abusive man. <laughs> <laughs> an abusive man. In this brutally harrowing scene. Uh, so I think we've covered this, so I'm not going to go too much into it. But uh, this is the tunnel that sprang to my mind as soon as you mentioned the topic. Cheers, Nick. Um, uh, Chris Markinson. Hey, guys. I'm a little worried that my number one pick might take some liberties with the topic. Hmm. Number three, Brick. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, there's a lot of action that happens just outside the entrance to the storm drain tunnel and inside of it. Yeah, I like that, Chris. It's a good pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, number two, in Sicario, there's a raid under drug tunnel, which results in a firefight. Gives one of the characters the chance to get into Mexico undetected in order to take care of some business. It's um, good. Chris Barkinson, my number one isn't so much about the tunnel as it is about who emerges from it and what is around the entrance to the tunnel. In Hannah, there's an abandoned theme park where Saoirse Ronan and Kate Blanchett wind up. There's a really excellent scene of Ronan running along a set of tracks toward a tunnel 
And there's Giants Wolf's Maw. Uh, hmm. Wide open. Why are you going, uh, hmm? Built around I thought the it was the tunnel at the beginning. As running gets closer, Blanchett emerges from the mouth of the tunnel. Thanks, guys, Chris. Why hey, wait, you thought it was from the beginning. What, what do you... I thought the tunnel she was running around shooting out cameras. Oh. I thought the, <laughs> the Wolfstead was a roller coaster ride. Oh, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a train tunnel. But yeah, roller coasters and trains, they go through tunnels. I don't think it's a roller coaster thing. It was just one of those trains that you know noodles around for little kids to sit on. Like uh, Dunkirk. <laughs> there are no Big trains kids in Dunkirk. <laughs> oh. Wait, but yeah, that is a great one. Dunkirk. I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a wolf's mouth as, as a tunnel. Yeah, it's a great shot. Hmm. All right, do you guys have any runners-up? Other than Mole Man and Fantastic Four. What? Huh? Interstellar, of course, but we've talked about that. Malkovich? Um, There's a great uh, tunnel sequence, the subway tunnel sequence in Cloverfield that I really like. Um, That's really scary. Wait, Uh, that's a great one. Yeah. Good work, Dingus. (laughs) Thanks. And then, then of course, um, in that. in the Civil War movie, where they're fly, where uh, where they have that great tunnel chase, where um, uh, they're uh, they're all chasing down uh, the Winter Soldier, and I can't think of any of their names. All I can think of is the Vulture now, but he's not in that movie. Who, who's the Who's the dude who has the vibranium claws? Darn it! Uh, Wolverine. No, it's not Wolverine. Black Panther. Bucky. <laughs> Bucky. 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 Oh, uh, Black, Black Panther. Yeah, Black Panther. Black, Black Man. I just said that. I'm the one that said it first. How comes you, you said yeah when Kelly said it? Because <sighs> uh, I cause I can't hear you when you talk uh, superheroes. <laughs> I'm but speaking I love like that. a different frequency. Okay. Yeah. I love that whole chase. Through that tunnel. Only interstellar. Los An- Downtown Los Angeles has this weird, like, glittery tunnel, and it just goes under a building. It's not even that long. But uh, in Blade Runner, there's a shot in Blade Runner where Ridley Scott, because you know he was shooting part of it in downtown, that that building where uh, the the guy who makes the the dolls lives. That's downtown, the Bradbury Building. Uh, but th- there's a shot in Blade Runner where Ridley Scott is like, "Yeah, this tunnel looks futuristic enough. We're just going to have the little futuristic cars driving through it, and it'll look futury." Um, that's like a famous tunnel, right? Do you guys know, even know what I'm talking about? I wasn't yeah. listening. Yeah, I definitely know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I also, do. I don't know if you would call it a tunnel or an overpass. I mean, I don't know what what length it has to be in for it not to be. But in the 25th hour where he gets beat up on purpose, it seems to take place in sort of a tunnel, but it might just be like an overpass. Yeah, because I thought of the beginning of birth, where the guy has the heart attack and drops yeah. dead. Like, but yeah. that's an overpass. That's clearly yeah. just like a. It's a little. It's it's more of the, the distinction feature of it is it's a the bridge part. If that's the main right. part of it, then it's not a tunnel. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Good yeah. point. So. All right. Are you guys ready for what we're going to be talking about next week? Oh. Yeah. All right. This is going to take some explaining. Next week, I want your three favorite wigs. Ah, oh, Kirsten. <laughs> Well, why, why? Thanks. Okay, let me cross that out. No longer my number one. Mm. Thanks, Kelly Wand. Really? Uh, if you are, li- what do you mean, really? No. Your three favorite wigs? Yeah. Okay, come on. Seriously, you guys don't immediately think, oh, this, that. 
that. You mean the, the British other. political party? Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> There's no H in what I'm choosing. Yeah, no. Oh, and Wigs. only one. Your favorite. I mean, like little sticks of wood. Those are called wigs? Yeah. Little tiny sticks. Are you are you thinking that, like, the word twig and wig? That, like, oh, twig. Jeez, right. Kelly one. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, yeah, Tom's totally onto something. There's some awesome wigs in movies. People always think that. Send your picks to 3x3 at quarter2three.com. We would love to read them on the air. Make sure you get them to us by uh, Sunday night, August 6th, midnight Pacific. And we will read your picks on the air. randomly. Yeah, I had to open a calendar and look. (laughs) I did not pick it randomly. You opened it. We have a very specific schedule on which we run here. Uh, also, if you see a, if you have seen a movie, and you guys have probably seen it by now, we haven't called uh, "War for the Planet of the Apes." Ah, uh, it's like Dunkirk but with monkeys. Yeah, what'd you think? Let us know. Send all send that in a separate email to three x three at quarter to three. Uh, we'd love to know your thoughts. If you'd like anything you'd like to ask us about "War for the Planet of the Apes," maybe you got questions about the plot. You're worried they might not be covered in the synopsis, so bring those up in an email. Little danger of that. Yeah. So, uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Murkowski. It's Christian Murkowski. And the Right Honorable Kelly Wand. What if the Death Star was star-sized? This summer, Universal's Dark Universe continues with a movie so terrifying it will not be screened for critics. Another classic monster from the Universal Archives is rebooted this August in Child's Play, colon, no colon, starring Tom Cruise. General, if you don't let me into that toy store, Chucky is going to destroy everything. Alicia Vikander is the mom. Where's the baby? Kevin Costner is Queen Elizabeth. Why does everybody always think they come back as a pharaoh? And Ben Diesel as Reverend Flanagan. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Child's play, because this toy is harmful if swallowed talkative sort aren't you <laughs> well i just thought it'd be fun to pretend i didn't mean well no i didn't but child's play 